Hello, dear listeners and viewers. You're here for another live episode of Let's Talk About It. Tonight, we are very excited. I have some new guests, some fresh faces for you guys. But before I introduce them and get into that, I do want to mention to our viewers live and those at home listening or watching on YouTube that uh, we are accepting donations for Stop Pipe line three so you can donate through us tonight or you can donate by going to stoppipeline3.org if you are listening to this after the live recording um, and pipeline three is a pipeline for a tar sands crude oil uh, being pumped uh, from Canada down through the Americas and all of that money and oil is going back to France none of it is going to the economies and the ecosystems that it's potentially ruining and not only is it an ecological disaster waiting to happen it also is violating several treaties with the Anishinaabe Ojibwe peoples it is cutting through several bodies of fresh water including our largest body of fresh water the Mississippi River three times at minimum so it is very imperative that we educate ourselves and we support our water protectors out there on the front lines and do and call our representatives and do everything that we can to stop this travesty before it happens. A little bit about tar sands is that it is the danger, most dangerous, most dirty type of crude oil that triples carbon dioxide output because they have to spend lots of money and chemical processes in cleaning it before they're ever able to use it. And when the pipeline springs a leak, because as we know, it's not if a pipeline leaks, but when. So when this pipeline were to leak, the oil, instead of sitting on the top of the water, will sink to the bottom, mixed with sediment, and be carried by this river to the Gulf of Mexico, devastating as many ecosystems as it can as it runs through them. This is imperative stuff, and if you want to know more, you can look into the TikTok accounts of a couple of really great water protectors. You have UG Gruna, which is U-G-R-U-N-N-A. We have A Gold Wolf, that's A underscore Gold Wolf, and Black Snake Hunter. All of these are indigenous peoples who are on the front lines trying to protect our waters and our land rights. So please do the time, educate yourselves, and donate if you can. All of that being said, today we are here to talk about mythology, folklore across the world and how it's similar and how it affects us today. And my guests all have very unique perspectives and interests in these fields. with me today, Joe. Joe, introduce yourself. Hi, so my name is Joe, and my current area of interest is Shinto and the yokai and kami that inhabit that space over in Japan in their mythologies, as well as learning more about Native American myths and legends but uh, just like many, many people, I started off with like Greek, Roman. I love Assyrian and Babylonian. Uh, my hands down favorite goddess of all time is Ishtar. I also have with me 
uh, Erin, Erin GoPlay. You might recognize her from her Mass Effect live streams here on this on the channel. Erin, introduce yourself. Hi. Um. Yeah, my name is Erin. Currently, I have been researching more on the Panhellenic pantheons, but I've also done a lot of research and um, a lot of interest in various actually African, predominantly in the field, but also some more of the Southern African mythologies, particularly spawned by the fact that at one point I was in love and still am with Rhodesian Ridgebacks. And mm. um, if I got an African lion hunting dog, I wanted to name it an African name um, mm -hmm. and needed to research them to understand what I was doing and not just be like, here's some random African sounding name that has nothing like that would be rude. Yeah. I would not do that. And also a lot of the Norse mythology. Yes. And joining us for the first time of what I'm sure will be many times, we have Cam. Hi. Hello, Cam. Tell the people Hi. about yourself and why you love mythology. Hi, <laughs> I'm Kim. Um, I'm from the UK. I originally born in Edinburgh, moved around a lot, lived in Yorkshire. So I have a lot of uh, ties to the Viking background um studied a lot of sort of norse greek mythology recently moved back sort of like three years ago to scotland after some time in canada some time in london some time in new zealand so a lot of really cool backgrounds and i'm just really dedicating myself to sort of reconnecting with my roots learning a lot about the celtic mythology uh trying to sort of bring all that history and heritage back to the fore. Yeah, absolutely. Basically, I guess let's start with like, what is your, like, what is your favorite uh, myth? Like, what is the myth that sparked you to like, oh God, I have to devour everything that there is to, to read here. Um, being the host, I, I guess I'll go first mine. I start, my introduction to like mythologies other than the Christian mythology uh, was Greek myth, as it is for pretty much every queer that I know. <laughs> it's me, I'm queer. Uh, yeah, very much that. Um, and uh, the first myth that I read, and I'm actually surprised now because like less people know about this than I thought. Like I thought this was somebody every everybody knew, but was the myth of Apollo and Hyacinth. And so like, this was one of the first stories and positive like representations I had ever seen of a queer relationship. And I was like, oh, that's possible. And so I just started devouring everything I could find. And like, turns out most of the dudes from Greek mythology are fuck boys, but <laughs> that's also kind of what I loved about Greek mythology is that the the uh the deities were so incredibly human it wasn't this kind of like yes they had you know so much power and so much this and so much that but they were very human in the way that they were angered in the way that they sought retribution in the way that they loved in the way that they did all of these things it was very human and that wasn't something that really got attributed to you know in christian mythology so it was really interesting for me to like actually be able to relate to the gods and to like read stories like that that's 100 percent the same thing that happened to me like it's the the sort of the vulnerability of them the fallibility of them and that resonates through norse mythology and roman mythology as well and that's why i ended up in those paths too it's just like they're not trying to be these perfect beings that have an answer for everything. 
like, oh, it's just a test of God. They were just jealous or horny or horny. And sometimes they were horny. (laughs) (laughs) Just sometimes. Just like the odd occasion I heard Zeus was a little bit like, you know, he liked liked to... Like all of all of Greek mythology is Zeus, don't 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 yeah. stick your dick in it, and Zeus going, nah, I'm gonna stick, stick my, my dick in it. Dick. Yeah, I'm like <laughs> everybody's like Zeus, no, and Zeus like Zeus, yes. Uh, mm. That's 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 Greek mythology. So now we're done. See you later. <laughs> I I have a I have a thought about that too, though. Like thinking about it and thinking about like this whole episode and everything. Thinking about the differences between like Joe specifically, like the Eastern mythos. Um, like the Chinese and Japanese sort of mythos and the way that they treat their gods compared to the way the Greco-Roman, the Hellenistic, a lot of the more European-centered pantheons treated their gods as this much more human sort of being um, and how that kind of does impart on our culture with the idea that in a lot of Western societies, you are trying to become a god like whether you actually are or not is very self-centered in the idea that like you could do enough to become a god because they are so human-based. Um, whereas with a lot of Eastern mythos, they're not as, they're still fallible, fallible, but they're not as approachable or they're not as much a person as a force of nature. Mm-hmm. In the the sort of Greek mythology particularly as well, it was something that was attainable if you did enough heroic deeds. Hey, look, we've raised you up to Olympus or now you're a constellation. Like that yeah. was- that was a Zeus strip, like strip. Somebody into a couple stars, like, oh, yeah. and that's yeah. <laughs> but Joe, what about you? What got you into what got you into the mythos, into the myth world? Um, Wonder Woman. <laughs> yes, uh, yes. I really have yes. a way around that. Um, Wonder Woman. I was fascinated by this idea that goddesses made a hero together. Mm-hmm. I loved it. As a little girl growing up in the fucking Bible Belt of the South, hello, um, in the Catholic Church, and all those messages, um, I was the odd one out in school that I was reading comics pretty young. Um, hand me down, like I don't even know where I got my first comics from, but I was fascinated by the idea that the goddesses came together and made this amazing hero that saves the world time and time again. And so I started reading everything I could about Greek mythology to be like, surely there's someone else that's similar to this. And like, what about another woman? And come to find out there really has never been, except for Athena. And I was like, she came out of his head? What does that mean? What the shit? And she was just an adult. Like she got to bypass all the bullshit of being a kid. That's cool. What? (laughs) But then, yeah, then it's like, oh, but dudes are doing everything. And even, like, the goddesses get truncated. Mm-hmm. Especially when you go from Greek to Roman. Like, the oh, yeah. the role of most of the goddesses is diminished significantly, especially when you look at Athena. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I was really turned, like, this is getting towards, like, middle school and high school. I got really turned off by that. And I, that's when I started looking into Assyrian Babylonian, wandering across that continent into some Chinese and Korean, um, eventually clichely landing on Japanese mythology right around the same time I was introduced to anime through, <laughs> through 
uh, Studio Ghibli's uh, uh, Princess Mononoke and Princess Mononoke, I was like, what the shit is happening? Like, I, it's very visceral experience of me being like 13, 14 years old. No, it's like 14 or 15, because I was definitely at public school now, which was, was the shit. After being in like cloistered little Catholic private school until eighth grade, and then like get punted into one of the largest high, public high schools in Arkansas, like that was intense. Anyways, I remember standing there in front of my TV with Princess Mononoke on. I'd missed like the first five, 10 minutes of it. So I was like, I don't know what shit this is. How do cartoons look like this? Right. Sorry, that is really violent. That's blood. <laughs> They're shooting guns. Like this is not like any cartoon I've ever seen before. What are these little, what's Kodoma? What's, what does Kodoma mean? What is this forest spirit? Like forest spirit makes me think of like the Native American stuff that I know very little about at the time. But like, that's eerily similar to like the Navajo stuff and the Hopi stuff and the Quapaw stuff. And like, mm-hmm. okay, what is this? And so then that launched me into like Far Eastern and really digging into Shinto. Because if you don't know this already, like Princess Mononoke is steeped heavily in Shinto ideals and principles. Mm-hmm. Uh, Anyways, that's my, that's, that's been my little journey. <laughs> yeah. And that's what, that, that's something that is actually like super interesting to me. Like when you look at um, some of the mythologies and some of the like spiritualities, one thing that's like super common among indigenous groups is this, like, is this animism. Uh, like one thing that is super central to Native American spirituality is the fact that everything has a spirit, you know, everything is a being that is worthy of respect and that is you know and like we talk about like using the whole animal and like yes that was a thing a lot of the time but there were also other specific practices like uh where like beaver bones are always return to the water so they didn't and like that's not all tribes but people of the beaver clan like they always returned the bones to the water rather than using them to make needles or beads or anything like that like those were returned to the water they had to be returned to the water and this is what you did and you know you didn't you didn't like just steal and take from the land anytime you took something you then replaced it or you didn't take more than you could for that plant or being to survive and there's similar concepts you know in in like hinduism and it, and and in a lot of african spiritualities uh, and you even see it in some indo-european spiritualities and some of the uh, indigenous groups of your of europe and there's this whole like concept of animism and it's so interesting to look at that versus when you look at like Greco-Roman ideologies and, and Christian mythologies. So like within, you know, the Greco-Roman, it, it wasn't like this thing of animism, but you didn't necessarily take too much of this or too much of that because you would anger the God that is then like, no, that's mine. Like I have purview over that and you didn't give me enough offerings. So fuck you. <laughs> um, versus then when you go and then you take that and then you move into this, you know, Christianity and Christianity, we were made to have dominion over the earth. And so like nothing has a soul except for humans and like everything else is just supposed to be for us. And it's so interesting to see how we go from here to that. Yeah. It's um, in, in talking about the Greco-Roman and like the, the idea that like you have to give so much tribute in order to take whatever so much of a, donation it's really the idea starting back in greece let's say 
that everything is for sale that really mm-hmm. kind of permeates a lot you know we we took their gods essentially we kind of took their ideas behind democracy and like kind of modeled a lot of Western society on this ideal. But it's just very interesting to see how that still transfers over that in a lot of Western societies that's based on this society in general, this whole idea that everything is for sale and everything belongs to belongs to someone, not just is there for the greater good. Um is very oh sorry. I was just gonna say it's very interesting. Go ahead. Yeah. Well, Christianity is like mapped a lot of its like its entire existence by just stepping on pagan holidays, by stepping on mm-hmm. other religious holidays, by trying to take parts that were already celebrated and be like, actually, you know, you're not celebrating that. You're actually celebrating this. And it's like they have no mm-hmm. grounds for this. They have no basis for it. They're just like, oh, well, that's actually ours now. And what yeah. you're doing is this. Mm-hmm. It's it's this it, it it's the same thing that happens within white supremacy of like it has to it has to expand to encompass things that are non-Christian like Christianity oh, in yeah. order to actually like gain a foothold and 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 start to build power had to expand itself to encompass things that had nothing to do with it so that then it could be attributed to it and they were so successful to the point that like I have conversation like as a like so i was like raised in the church like we covered that but like i'm a full-blown heathen well not a heathen because that's specifically like a norse practitioner but i am i'm i'm a pagan i'm a witch i'm 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 spiritual and like i had a conversation with with somebody about easter and like that's austera like that's that's a whole ass pagan holiday it's a fertility celebration that's different than ishtar i see shit shared every year around Easter about Ishtar being Ostar. And I'm like, get your fucking shit straight. Because by all means, it's an Ishtar. But bitch better know that is some intense ass sex coming your way and no babies coming out of it. You are going to make love and war to whomever you look at next if you're going to start praying to Ishtar. Hello. You want a baby? Ostara is your lady and that's different. Right. And like, but like you, you have this thing of like Christians not even questioning the, the symbolism that they use in these things. Uh, Like, why do you think it's a fucking rabbit and an egg? Yeah. So I was, I was raised Jehovah's witness. Oh shit. Yeah. I knew y'all was, I knew y'all was, I knew, I knew it was wild. I didn't know it was crazy. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, actually the Ishtar Osera, like that is very muddled, but that was actually my first introduction to like a different set of gods because Mm -hmm. Jehovah's Witnesses, um, a big part of why they don't celebrate any holidays is because they are very aware and actually talk a lot about how the holidays and the traditions around them were stolen from pagan traditions. And so they're like, that's no, 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 no. We're not doing that because that is not a part of our religion and we're not using these stolen things. And that's just like sacrilege. But I mean, like kudos to them for not using like on the one hand, a lot of, a lot of not kudos for a lot of other things. (laughs) There's a a lot of things we will not give them kudos for, but at least they didn't appropriate culture. And like, but like even now, even down to birthdays, like birthdays are a pagan tradition that Jehovah's Witnesses do not practice. And there's even... That's a different reason in their 
Okay. That's a, um, I know that that's, there's like an obscure Bible verse where it talks about like not celebrating that sort of thing. And it's, it's, uh, um, it's the only it two, though. there are only two um, instances celebrating birthdays in the Bible. And one of them is when some princess asked for the head of John the Baptist on a platter for her birthday. Um, mm-hmm. And the other one is something similar, like it's another massacre that happens or somebody gets killed. And so, as a general rule, they're like, he didn't, they don't necessarily say don't celebrate birthdays, but the only two times that they show them being celebrated, it's by pagans and it is detrimental to, to our Christians. So obviously Mm -hmm. if that was important enough to include it in the Bible, we shouldn't celebrate it. Yeah. You know what? It's my birthday in like two days. I didn't know I could ask for somebody's head on a platter. I'm going to have to change a lot of plans. Who, who, who? You know, there's a lot because that gets rid of plausible deniability. You're right. (laughs) Also, if you say your wish out loud, it doesn't come true. Oh, right. You're right. Right. Mm -hmm. And and yeah, like, but yeah, just to like. Also, how to choose in this day and age? How to choose? There's so many (laughs) words. We can take Philip and and Margaret off that list, at least. um but no like uh truly like it's it's and it's so interesting also like the way that um these things still shape us like especially when you look at like greco-roman mythologies and stories translated to like western culture today like we still use the same like what is it 2737 uh story blueprints that they laid out like you know and like the way but and i will say like the way that western and like white people right is different from the way that indigenous communities right and the the, the, like we tell stories in different ways i think it's super interesting because like when you look at it like even going back to greece like there's a usually a linear progression of the story. Whereas within indigenous communities, it's more in like, it's more based in like interest and emotion. So like you'll get different, like you'll get different pieces at different times and like you'll be coming to one thing and then it calls you back to before this thing was starting to happen. And so like they tell stories in different ways and for different reasons. Um, There's also very much a difference in the way like indigenous peoples approached their like spirituality and their and their like deities like native americans don't really have deities but that it's and let um real personas or archetypes yeah like spirits and like and that's the thing is like you're in native american spirituality and and mythology the spirits are not separate from us. Like it's, it's not, they're not this like class of people that just sit and judge and rule. No, like they are actively a part of us. They are helping us. They are, they are here to help us grow and, and, and flourish. But so often in like Greco-Roman and in a lot of um, Indo-European, like in a lot of like European spiritualities, um, there's like this fear of gods which is then again translated into christianity i'll put the fear of god in you right right? like what why like because like even with celtic even with celtic uh lore and mythologies like uh morigna like the morrigan like she is you know 
she slash they, because really it's it's a title. It's not like one person. It's, it's a triple goddess and it's not always the same three people. Like sometimes, you know, it is three aspects of one person and sometimes it's three sisters. Sometimes it's three gods that aren't like strictly related, but like everybody's kind of related in Celtic mythology. And so it's just so interesting because even though she is warlike and chaos, like people still worshipped her to a greater degree than like the Greeks worshipped Ares. Like Ares, like, you know, dude bros today want to be like, Ares, blah, 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 blah. Oh, he's so powerful. The biggest like worshippers he had were Sparta and Sparta was a small empire because the class of people that they kept as slaves outnumbered them like 10 to 1. Yes. And gay AF as fuck to the point that the women were encouraged to cut their hair short in order to help their husbands get used to sleeping with a woman. Not only cut their hair short but the marriage night happened in the middle of it like they didn't see their wives during the day daylight until after they had consummated because they wanted to be able to pass for boys yeah um but that that is very (laughs) it's very similar um so it's actually very interesting to bring that up because the like southern african like the the parts of africa that weren't connected almost to the panhellenic like not egypt basically not the big egyptian gods that we all know right well not the north i assume everyone in this chat knows not necessarily everyone (laughs) listening but i'm assuming that none of us are gonna be like who's isis um (laughs) isn't that that terrorist sale like no girl (laughs) yeah but they have very similar is to the to more of the indigenous cultures as well you know where like all of their gods are spirits that nature and embody both the good and the bad aspects of of nature so it's it's very interesting to see how the different areas all Mm -hmm. Develop. And even when we look at, and like, even, and, and we look at like archetypes too, right? It's like so many spiritualities have these gods that like fulfill similar, like fulfill similar things and like have similar archetypes, like, um, but like do it very differently. So like you can uh, look at Coyote versus Loki. Like they're both, you know, mischievous spirits. They're both that aspect of kind of mischief and chaos. But Coyote isn't mischief for mischief's sake. Coyote is a teacher. Because like at the end of the day, like most Native American spirits are there to teach and nurture. And the way that they do that can be very different. But like with Coyote, his mischief is there to either teach the people a lesson or protect the people like he's not out here putting thor in a dress and saying this is frig don't worry about it that is my (laughs) favorite norse myth of all time and it will be till the day i die it's my it's so good it's my favorite (laughs) and if they said uh chris hemsworth tom hiddleston we need you to do this hands down they'll be like yeah we'll do it yeah 100 percent. absolutely 100 percent yeah, but yeah, yeah, my favorite Will Smith. But and it's duality- interesting yeah. the difference is yeah, in Anansi there too. You know, yeah, is- yes, yeah, yes. Like Anansi is like the trickster, and yeah. like, <laughs> but also like you know he is he is there to you know, he is also in a way there to protect the people and teach them but also like he de- like he i think anansi is kind of like i don't want to like make him an analog to you know 
Loki or anything like that. But like, you know, there's this kind of like middle ground that happens with the nonsense. Like he he definitely had like some mischief and some self-gain going on, but he also had a lot to like teach the people. And like it's very interesting when you like look at that and then you look at the cultures of the people who are doing this thing and 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 who are telling these stories. And it and it goes back to the way that like indigenous peoples in particular those of like africa and the americas and the american caribbean like their you know culture and spirituality was like take care of the community like it wasn't this sort of like individualistic mode of thinking it wasn't like self-preservation above all it was preservation above preservation of community to preserve self because if we're all taking care of each other i don't have to worry about myself like, but even going back into like Norse myth, like it's something, these are all, you know, spiritualities and, and mythos that are known. But the thing is, is like, there's so many different, like, especially when you look at like Norse and Greco-Roman, like different people told different stories. The myth of Persephone uh, is told very differently amongst different people. And like, there's a version there, uh, the earliest mention we actually have of Persephone uh, doesn't mention her as Corey at all. It doesn't, it doesn't mention Demeter. It just mentions her as the regent of the underworld. Uh, it mentions her as the one doling out the punishment. Like, and and it's not until later that we receive the story the there's a story of her you know finding the underworld on her own but there's also you know the story of her being kidnapped but also like there's the cultural knowledge of back then like if your parents did not approve of the partnership if they didn't approve of the marriage and you did it anyway that was considered an abduction that was considered a kidnapping so like the the accounts of whether or not she was a willing participant or duped into this sort of relationship vary same with medusa and i'm sure like ken could tell us a lot about the variations of norse myths yeah there's a lot of interesting twists on the way that we perceive them and a lot of different like the way that odin is perceived even and everybody i think knows odin if you don't uh he's the reason we have wednesdays uh (laughs) um played very well by um ian mcshane in the adaptation he was a very very good odin uh but he's the all-father there's a lot of people that just kind of expect him to be this very foreboding very like all-powerful like the stereotypical this is a god he's gonna smite everybody etc etc but he goes and he hangs himself from a tree in the sacrifice for knowledge he hands over his eye there's people that will have different interpretations of that and like bits were taken from him and things like that but it generally is that kind of duality of like he's sacrificing versus he is being sacrificed yeah and 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 just the idea that he sits there and he's like oh i'm the all-powerful i'm the almighty and yeah he does have that kind of personification about him but not to the same extent that you would think of the one god in christianity like he does delegate he does have different and like everybody thinks he's the god of war and he does have that tie in with battles but actually Freya is the goddess of war and sex so you have those contradictions all the way through it and I love that she is both war and sex I just 
and cats. I just love it. It's incredible. And and like talk about the fact that like Valhalla is second choice. Freya yeah. is the one who created the Valkyrie and Freya yeah. gets first choice of the Fallen. Valhalla is just the hall of Freya's rejects. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. It's Odin's chosen warriors, but that's only from Odin's perspective. Right, exactly, and that, that and that is another thing that's so interesting. And I and I know and I know that there's a thing in you know Japanese mythology and culture where they call don't they like call them the like some, it's some, like there there's a reference to the gods as a bureaucracy in that's, Japanese. That's Chinese. That's Chinese. Okay, okay, okay. I don't know as much about that, um, that because that gets so layered and complicated so fast. There's parts of it um where like there's a ranking system involved mm-hmm. you have it, it gets super complex when you start talking about the chinese mythology because it also changes by era or or dynasty mm. <laughs> and there's gods and goddesses that fall in and out of favor based off of the dynasty that's going on because in their mythos um certain gods and goddesses support different families or tribes that's not quite the right word but um in support of like overthrowing power and like that's like the breaking and real rebuilding and breaking and rebuilding yeah. like the gods help them do that anyways yeah and there's and, a similar phenomenon in 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 ancient greece where you like you had household gods and like your family your household like in particular worshipped these gods all the time and then like you would give offerings to other gods if you were looking for other things uh, well, and, and I think and I was going to say with Chinese, it's such a diaspora as well because mm-hmm. it is such you know the Han Dynasty came in and they centralized language and we're like haha all Chinese people are Han people now because uh, we centralized language, but not how that works. <laughs> like like literally to this day, like in in Chinese, like it's Han Jin, like it's yeah. Um, but it's so dispersed and so many pockets where there are such different mythos and then you also have the idea that came in with Chinese where they had women's writing and women's tales which were done separately and was a whole different type of writing and a whole different language even that was developed just because women weren't allowed to write I mean they weren't allowed to write Hanwin. Um, right. <laughs> so the the mythos that come out of the women's writing are completely different to the mythos that come out of the men's writing. And so trying to understand anything with Chinese mythology is a very um, giant task. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but in, in Japanese mythology specifically, um, the hierarchy gets really abstract um, because... Again, a- 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 anything can be kami um, or, or uh, and part of Shinto. Um, so, for people more unfamiliar with it, um, you know, you have the tori, which is the the gates, um, and that is always a line of demarcation of like past this point is where you will find kami. This is where you will find the gods. They live. They sleep here. But like, it gets it gets weird because oni yoke kami all of that is within the spirit world and they kind of all mix together and you mm-hmm. the the hierarchy is like there's basically nothing and then 
you have named gods like Izanami, Izanagi, uh, Amaterasu, Susanoo, um, on and on and on. Um, but then there's also people who have been elevated to the level of gods as well. And that gets super abstract because it's kind of similar to sainthood and mm-hmm. Catholicism that it is after the person's death, their life is examined and society as a whole is like, yeah, they were really awesome and they made the world so much better. So we're going to give them this title. And so there's historical figures in Japanese history raised to the level of kami or a god and they actually have shrines and things like that dedicated to them and it's always around a topic. Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of where the bureaucracy kind of sneaks in. Um, But again, it's not formal canonization like in the Catholic Church for Saints. It's just people collectively are like, yeah, that person was badass and like so much more than just human. They had to have been a god. So we're just going to. Yeah. And, and that can be like, and um, to my understanding, like that can also be like super regional as well. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Like, no. like the gods acknowledged in shrines down in Okinawa are not going to be the same acknowledged in uh, enshrined in uh, Hokkaido. And mm-hmm. it, it, it gets wild. And it, it without <laughs> completely geeking out, like th- there were indigenous or indigenous tribes because if you're not realizing this uh uh japan is made up of hundreds to thousands like oh fuck, i'm forgetting that exact number but thousands of islands and you don't see the majority of them most people know uh japan is just being that one big crooked island thing that's kind of snaking around and no there's islands dotting all the way up near russia and all the way down going near um australia all of that's yeah and, and so in that's a big reason why there are so many asian and japanese people in australia and new zealand is because like they have islands that are right there yeah it's just <laughs> it's a little hop skip jump like closer right to, um to america sorry international people but um so a lot of the islands that were clustered together would have their own indigenous way of practicing a very naturalistic shamanistic way of life um, then there was lots of wars, lots of bickering, lots of everything that created the Japan that we know now. And, and lots of colonization and annexation. Like, here's the, th- uh, here's the thing, dear listener, if you didn't know, Japan is a colonized empire. Like, they colonized parts of China at one point. Like, and all of this kawaii, like, culture is very intentional rebranding. Mm-hmm. Like... <laughs> It is new. That shit is new. New as hell. Uh, new, new. Uh, so fun story uh, that is not related to mythology, but how bad Japan was. Um, for my college, one of my college classes, I wrote a 20-page paper on the rape of Nanjing. Oh, my God. And yeah, no, I had to take regular breaks to stop and look at puppies. Um, but yeah. it was actually, they were so bad that, literally the person who saved the most Chinese lives in Nanjing was a Nazi who was writing to Hitler to be like, um, excuse me, dude, but, uh, this shit is bad. Like he literally the, he was the German ambassador there under the Nazi regime and like a high ranking SS and basically just turned his whole property into a refuge because these would not, risk pissing off the Germans by touching anything on his soil. So he 
made turned his yard into a and was writing Hitler about how bad the Japanese were. Yeah, and like, yeah, like not to stay on that for too long, but that's why I have a real problem with any kind of media and like adaptations coming out of America, coming out of America specifically, but like literally anywhere that's that like addresses Pearl Harbor because they don't they don't have any concept of like what kamikaze pilots really were. Most of them were children. Almost all of them were doing this against their will. Like this wasn't this this wasn't like some sort of like volunteer like yeah like no like it was awful like for everyone involved and um yeah so hmm. Japan is not the cute, like, funzy place you think it is. <laughs> beautiful. There's a lot. Oh, absolutely beautiful, gorgeous, and and yeah. But there's so much. There's so much like indigenous culture there as well. Like a lot of uh, some of it has like been you know like assimilated and, and colonized. But most of, it, most of it has been is the sad part. There's only a handful of um, indigenous tribes that still hold on to their roots um and that's in the farther edges of the total archipelago Mm -hmm. of japan and the rest has been assimilated into itself like they tried to homogenize things together and it uh, um got a bit icky in places and on in the wild part technically because of buddhism (laughs) that because Buddhism's uh, migration into that archipelago, the indigenous people are like, well, our stuff is similar, but it's not that. That's Mm -hmm. talking about death all the time, which, okay, cool, we can talk about that, but we're, this is life, this is nature, this is different. So we're this way because we're not that. And so this is also why Buddhism and Shintoism are strangely entwined in a way that you really don't find other places in the world that yeah you can ask just about any japanese person like what religion are you and they're like uh, <laughs> and <we're not> talking. <laughs> but if you say are you buddhist they're like yeah well are, are you shinto yes yeah <laughs> and it's because shinto is about life and buddhism is about death and the afterlife and that that mm-hmm. process but yeah, like that, and 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 that's something that's really interesting too. And like, and and also like, j- like let's look at histories and things like that. Like the fact that like all of the most most mythologies in the world like have a flood story. Like I know that like there there is one from Norse myth, but I'm not familiar with it. I don't know it off the top of my head. Okay, but I, I know, do know in, that it exists. Yeah, and I know that in like. Um, uh south american a lot of the like there's a belief in the south american like indigenous peoples of uh this serpent uh who was a god of storms in the sea and like had a fight with the sun god and the sun god saw fit to let him win and it flooded you know that area and it's 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 really what like just to like and that's one thing that you can look at like that that's one thing that gives us like footholds into history without a whole lot of evidence because if all of these cultures all over the world have some kind of mythology that centers around a flood clearly there was a great flood that happened you know despite the fact that we have like actual like 
fossils of aquatic animals on the tops of mountain ranges that tell us even more. It's like, oh yeah, like this shit was real. This isn't just some story that everybody thought up and was like, yeah, that'd be cool if there was a story about a flood. <laughs> like, it's just really interesting the, the way that you can glean insights on like actual historical events from mythologies. Yeah. I'm pretty sure there's one in Irish mythology as well, but I don't know that one off the top of my head either. I just know that there is one. I yeah. know the, the Norse mythology is kind of not so much a flood of war. I think it's a flood of blood. Mm. I mean, that checks with their cult. Their yeah, like they, kill it, they killed a guy and his blood flooded the frost giants and then the one of them got away or something. <laughs> Uh, speaking so, of blood in Norse mythology, like I have ADHD and my brain makes weird ass connections. I'm but here for it. <laughs> one thing that a lot of people don't know because like their introduction to Norse mythology is like Marvel Comics or yep, the yep. MCU. One thing that a lot of people don't know is like Loki isn't Thor's brother. He's Odin's blood brother. Like that's who the bond yep. is made with. That's like, that's another variation that they that springs up and it's one is that he was taken and raised with Thor, which becomes more popularized because of the the MCU. And yeah, then there's the origin story of him being, uh, they were warriors, that kind of yeah. brother in arms kind of thing as well. Yeah. And I find all these things sort of like very interesting and especially like when you, um, and the way that people like have adapted them and then the adaptation becomes the reality in, in yeah. some senses even when you look at like medusa so like oh, when you yeah. look at the myth of medusa like that one is really close to my heart for a lot of reasons but um also just like you know it's the men who tell we only really have the one account of yeah. it being a punishment from Athena. Yeah. Um, there are accounts of, you know, Medusa always having been a Gorgon. And the yeah. thing that, that Athena gifted her was the stone site. Like yeah. Gorgons existed like as a race of people, like harpies did. Uh, like they were just like reptilian women uh, who were beautiful, uh, but also like monstrous at the same time. Yeah. And, you know, Beauty she was- is in the eye of the beholder exactly hello uh, <laughs> but yeah and so like but like when women told the myth of medusa like it was a gift bestowed yeah. on her by athena to prevent that from ever happening and like shelters and safe spaces for battered women and abused people used medusa's head as a signifier of what they were it's just a very interesting take that they always attribute very strong jealousies to female goddesses. Hera is probably the most notorious for it in, in Greek mythology. But to but to say that we have Athena who was celibate, who protected women, who was about wisdom and that sort of sanctity, as well as the warrior that she was, to mm. think that she saw this rape happen in her temple because it was rape. Yeah, absolutely. In, absolutely. Most, in most stories, it was rape. Um, there's some. Poseidon and Zeus are say, fucking rapists. Like, yeah, a hundred percent. And like, there's some people. I that are challenge like, oh, you they... to find a Greek god who isn't a rapist. <laughs> oh yeah, Hades. Yeah, I mean any yeah. of the celibate <laughs> ones. To be fair. Uh, yeah, like any any of the celibate ones. To be Artemis. fair. Um, 
but yeah, I, I was like, like oh yeah, I was specifically talking about the male gods more than yeah, the fair, would be. Fair, fair, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. It's like uh, this is Athena's temple. She is one of Athena's, in some interpretations, she's one of Athena's most devoted servants. Mm-hmm. One of her most dev- devoted women of her temple to think that no, Athena she was a then, high priestess. Yeah, to think priestess, that was the word I couldn't think of. Um gotcha. <laughs> people to just assume that Athena would turn around and be like, mm, well, no, you brought this on yourself. I'm gonna punish you now. Like, why would she do that? Why would she immediately blame Medusa? For Especially that? if you're mm-hmm. looking at her as a goddess of wisdom, like and she yeah, who- exactly. Who immediately was like, yeah, no, I'm not having a dude. She knew what dudes at that time were up to. Yeah, like, at that time. Is Zeus, her uncle's Poseidon, time. like, uh, yeah, she knows what's going down. Yeah, and even down to, like, even down to, like, uh, we're talking about different variations. Even, like, with Athena's origin, uh, there are myths that, like, she's completely immaculate and, like, just came yeah. out of Zeus's head. But the, there's another myth. Uh, her mother the is a myth- titan. Her mother yeah. is Metis. And what happened was he had already, like, promised himself to Hera and was like, okay. And, like, they had gotten rid of the other titans with the exception of, like, Hecate and a couple of others. But what he did was exactly what Kronos did. And so he like blew out his insides and swallowed Meta's whole, not realizing that she was pregnant. And so she gave birth to Athena inside of Zeus. And then once she started getting bigger, she placed uh, Athena in Zeus's head. And so once she became too large, he had a headache and Hephaestus came down and like banged on his head and like busted his head open and released her. Yeah, there's another variation of that where he turns her into an insect and swallows mm. her that way. Yeah, there's all sorts of, of myths that like don't get explored or told because they have now, you know, been changed and whatever and then passed down through male storytellers who like, like don't care to do anymore. The biggest slander that's ever happened to Greek mythology is the fucking Disney film Hercules. Like, <laughs> Hades... Down there, being the worst guy ever. Zeus up there, being the best guy ever. How dare you? Having Zeus a is a great family era. dad. Family it, man. Fun side um, sidebar. My um, main D and D character is called Panic. She's a tiefling. Her sister's called Pain. <laughs> incredible i love pain and panic and pain and panic i feel like we're supposed to be this like weird adaptation of phobos and deimos yeah Mm -hmm. um which is really interesting um but yeah like it's it's so funny when you look at the ways that because like hades in most of his myths is just like chilled out like he he makes contracts and he holds people to their word he's not like death he's no. not thanatos no, that's, he doesn't that, go exactly that's thanatos. The souls he is a paper pusher he's a bureaucrat he sits behind a desk and he signs paperwork and he rages about it and that's about it like that's and it. really he's what not- he is is he's the god of riches like yeah. because his dominion is over the earth and everything in it like so like he is the god of riches of precious gems of things and like he's not and that, that's why he's always about keeping your contracts and balancing things 
things but and like yeah. and that's why you have to like entreat him and when you and you take and that's why you put two gold coins on someone's yeah. eyes because that's you have to pay the ferryman to like get through like and and retain part of yourself and yeah. like there's so much rich world building within the underworld but because because this entered kind of the Christian world, they had yeah. to then, you know, give that that's the same. That's hell. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. bad. Yeah. yeah. And they completely eradicate that it's not even just like Hades. Like that's not the domain. There's like different levels to that that different people go to. There's Elysium, mm-hmm. which you could compare to Valhalla if you so wished. You have mm-hmm. all of right. those different aspects. Yeah, there's Elysium, there's um, Tartarus, and... which is both a Titan. And that's the thing as well. Like Tartarus is a Titan as well as yeah. a place. Like he, he, the place is named for him. Yeah. We're talking about the underworld and Persephone appears. I Of course, as, as she She as was she summoned, showed. yeah. Um, <laughs> Do you know what? I play the game Hades a lot, and I, the whole point is to get through. You go <laughs> Tartarus, then Elysium, and then and I've forgotten what it's called. <laughs> oh, oh! I mm, of course it just left me too. But yes, I I know where you are. I know where you're headed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And but that's what's another so- interesting twist on Greek mythology and its players. Yeah, and that's the and great things about that. Is- I I, I haven't played it yet either. I'm going to for sure. But what's so interesting is the the character that you play as Hades' son, uh, uh, Zagreus. His full name is uh, Zagreus Dionysus, yeah. and like he is a separate entity from Dionysus, but is mostly a footnote in Asphodel, Greek myth. you got Asphodel. <laughs> I had to Google it. It was going to drive me crazy. Yeah. And there's, there's only like, there's only of the like maybe four myths that Zagreus Dionysus is mentioned in, there's only one that he is referred to as a child of Hades. And so yeah. it's very like, and it's very tangentially as well, because like the, the um, translations of things and the ways that words were used yeah. in Greek are very different. Like there, especially in ancient Greek, like sometimes mm-hmm. when you were referring to like a son, you were refer- like, they were referring to just, a close relationship with a younger man or somebody that you were mentoring. Or your young man rape victim. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to say that translates a lot into like the the sort of relationships that men had in a lot of the Greek myth, that it was this kind of like older mentor, younger mentee, and that was like, they also boned. Like, yeah, and it was... Consensually and non-consensually. Yeah. I mean, so that's a, I I would say non-consensually, because it is all about pederasty, and like, there Mm -hmm. is a phrase, um, an old ancient Greek-like scripture that's like there is no more divine place than between a young man's thighs and yes. like they would yeah. have these relationships i mean they would start when they were like 12 or 13 that's yeah. right of course that's yeah. not consensual and the other yeah. thing is is like when we talk about like ancient greece and sparta and stuff like being gay as fuck yeah. but the thing is like it wasn't because those concepts weren't really a thing no. like right. and the other thing about like the it was also like common knowledge that you know oh you know the 
younger man, the mentee isn't, might not experience arousal and that during you, during your coupling and that's fine. But also you weren't supposed to have more than one at a time. And there is a documented case of, I think it was Plato fucking around on one of his uh, mentees and his mentee like fought him about it. Like literally publicly fought him about it. Um, and that, and as was his right to do, because like you're taking all of these things from this young man, like you take him away from his family, you take what you want from him when you want it. Like he is supposed to be your focus. He is supposed to be the person that you're educating. He's supposed to be the person that you're feeding. He's like, you're supposed to be doing all of this, all of these things. And so for you to step out like that is not cute. And like, it's so interesting. Uh, um, I just like saying that it's gay as fuck to fuck with all the people who, all the macho men who are like, Sparta is great. And it's like, the um, Achilles and Patroclus relationship uh falls onto that onto that character uh, category depending on which perspective you're looking at the the Achilles and Patroclus relationship from. (laughs) Have you you read uh, a song for Achilles? Song of Achilles! I am gay. I and think in- that Lex has. <laughs> I am gay and in pain, but let me tell you my favorite quote about, like, my favorite quote about, like, ancient Greece and, like, myth comes from that book. And it's the exchange between Achilles and Patrocles, where he um, he talks about, like, you. Um, can you think of one hero who was happy? Name one hero who's happy. Yeah. You can't. They don't let you be famous and happy. I'll be the first one um, because of you. And it's like, and it's, <laughs> it's a song of Achilles is so beautiful. Go to your local library, go to your local bookstore, pick yeah. it up, read it and be in gay pain with me. Yes. <laughs> I, I mean, I am. Yes. Uh, yeah. uh, Kirky, Cirky, Cersei. Um, Cersei, yes. Oh, Cersei, that also amazing. Outstanding. Same author. Um, she's mm-hmm. Madeline Miller? Yes, Madeline Miller. Yes, amazing. Amazing, amazing. She's incredible. And, like, Cersei is mm-hmm. another one that, like, is super, is super interesting when you look at her myths and you look at, because she only appears a couple of times and her biggest, you know, appearance is in, you know, Homer's epic. Um and you know they mention her as as a, a daughter of Hecate. I'm pretty sure, um, or no, she's not related to Hecate. She has different parents. She, it's the sea monster that is. Yeah, Hecate's she is yeah. water deity based yeah. because yeah, yes, she is the potential reason that one of the the most prettiest water nymphs got turned into some horrible like monster at the bottom of a wasn't whirlpool. It, wasn't it Scylla that she yes, turned into? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there are two there are two monsters. One of them is the daughter of Hecate and the other is that um yeah. is that nymph. Um yeah, it's super interesting. And like, I don't know, like I just and there's so much that we will never know. Like when we look at um like Mesopotamian mythology, like the little bits that we have, like, you know, there's there's so much history and culture, and then you look at the gods that kind of 
crop up in Greek mythology because they like conquered people. They didn't colonize people. So it was just like, yeah, we'll just add it in. Like, that's fine. You keep doing what you're doing, pay your taxes, it's fine. And so we see these sorts of, um, these traditions and these myths like enter Greek mythology, a type of way that's super interesting. Jumping back a couple of topics. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, there years ago now. Um, yeah, 2018. Um, Netflix produced a show called Troy Fall of a City. Mm-hmm. Okay. And because of how um, Lex quoted the book, I think they used that book for part of this script because, again, one of the big reasons, because whenever I read um, Iliad, uh, I always took words and names are going to come out of my mouth eventually. (laughs) Who needs them? They like each other, right? And of course, like my Catholic teachers were like, shh, about that. Okay, now I'm really confused. But you know, a lot of modern media just kind of leaves Petrocles out and that's super sad. But then yeah, in the fall of a city is they have that scene between the two of them. And it was heart wrenching. I just remember being like, I don't remember a lot about the show. I thought it was good at the time and it was super entertaining. And I love that they approached that relationship being like, no, those two are together. Um, they were also portrayed as equals in yeah. that but I just, I remember that gut-wrenching moment of like, they were having this intimate thing, this conversation. And I'm like, but he's about to go die now. No. One of the really interesting ways they portrayed that in A Song for Achilles was through sort of like the depiction of Patroclus at the beginning. He becomes exiled. He sits away from Achilles. He kind of watches Achilles who has never struggled to make friends. And then, Achilles kind of comes to match Patroclus rather than Patroclus going up to match Achilles and they go together through that and by the end when they're they're fighting um the Trojans he is well loved he's well liked he's well known the people of the camp know him not because he's a great hero but because he dedicates himself to helping and healing Mm -hmm. and he is the balance to sort of the power and the slaughter and the fierceness of Achilles and that equality was really powerfully portrayed in that book I think it really was I think it would be a little bit remiss too though if we're talking about Achilles and um, Patroclus to not mention Alexander and Hephaestion Mm, Um, there's one and and, you know especially if we're talking about mythology being brought into kind of the real world yeah ancient history at this point obviously but you know it was it was very much on record that um you know there were times where um Hephaestion would go to meet with leaders of these countries that they were conquering or to broker deals um and Alexander would send him in his stead and there was one that has been recorded very well where the the king i don't remember who he went to but he got very angry he was like i was supposed to meet with alexander who the fuck is this and um so alexander showed up like a week or two later and he was like i am very insulted and alexander's like why he's alexander as well like anything he says i say like it's fine he can do the literal quote is he too is alexander yeah Mm -hmm. Um, it's like when karen asks to see the manager and then the manager comes out and like just agrees like no, he 
What yes. he says is what I'm saying. I support what he says. Yeah. The reason that this person is my person to tell you this stuff is because they know it. Get out of here, um, But they, But they literally went together to the tombs of, or the tombs, I'm sure, of Achilles and Patroclus and laid wreaths upon them together. Yeah, it's, it's relationships looked so, and, and the stories looked so different before other people got their hands on them. Yeah. Um, and that's what's so interesting is these things kind of get perverted to the point that people think that like, like this is just common knowledge and like um, na- in, uh, in indigenous American folklore and, and spirituality and knowledge is going through a similar thing right now where like, you know, people think Wendigos and other, you know, spirits and stories that we have are open rain and that they get to just like adapt these stories and no you don't these things are these things are sacred this knowledge is this knowledge is closed and like there are things that we don't mention out loud and (laughs) for reasons (laughs) Um, words have power and there's just some things you don't say yeah. yeah, it's like those people that stand in front of the mirror and say Bloody Mary three times. Like they think that it's like this almost like a game to to challenge these like scary ghost stories, but mm-hmm. that's not what it is. Yeah, yeah, but then different. Yeah, and then you have places that still very much know and believe these things. Like when we look at the Appalachian, the Appalachian mountains, like, you know, the history and the folklore there is crazy. And I like, I know I'm, I mentioned that I want to talk about this because like, this is the oldest mountain range in the world. Like carbon dated. It's true. Yeah. <laughs> like, is, isn't it like, isn't parts of it like in Scotland? In Europe. Because yeah. Yes. It's yes. Just so the way that had, they cracked. Yeah. yeah. When you had Pangea together. So basically what it does is it, it snakes up all the way through North America, goes through some islands and then ends up also in the like Scottish Isles and the, and, and I think some in the Dutch area I as know that, well. Where I know that Norway it? has a very similar sort of yes. coastline and sort of indigenous yeah, and so, and things to scotland yeah and so when you look at you know the peoples that occupy that area today number one they're incredibly impoverished uh the the people who live in the north american legs of the appalachia mountains are incredibly beneath the poverty line um but there's also a whole lot of folk magic that goes on in the appalachia mountain regions and it pulls from several different spiritualities there's a lot of like european sort of um spirituality and knowledge that happens there and then there's a lot of like indigenous knowledge and they've kind of created this like new pantheon and this new kind of like spirituality and practice um but yeah like there are stories in um there are stories in indigenous cultures of like those mountain ranges being prisons for you know spirits that had gone dark and 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 aspects of nature that creator and the and the stone people and the sky people all said no (laughs) and (laughs) 
And then, you know, you had, you know, white industrialism come in and break these mountains open for coal mining and things and just take and take and take. And this is where we start to hear stories of the land being angry. And we hear stories of these earthquakes, these landslides, these these things that had no reason to happen happening and like taking over and take and like taking swaths of the community out. Uh, and it's just it. It's, it's so interesting um, and, and rich with like culture. And it's, it's just so neat to see the way that these things survived. Like they, they're, they're still alive today. Like it's not just stories. Like the, the, these are things that people still live. And it's very interesting to see in Appalachia, especially um, Joe and, and Lex, I'm sure you have been there um, at least gone to Helen Um I lived there for a bit up in Cleveland, Helen area in high school. Um, but it's such a deeply entrenched in Christianity area as well. Mm -hmm. So to see the way that these people have married these folk witchcrafts, um, to, to be quite honest with their mm -hmm. Christian beliefs and have managed to find a way to marry them together is very interesting. They try to negate the, naturalistic more pagan aspect of what they're doing that's why you have old wives tales and mm -hmm. like grandma always did this so i do it too yeah. mm -hmm. it, you know like iconography of one thing but then we have these practices of another just because this is how it's always been done like it gets really weird really fast right yeah. like raise your raise your hand if you've heard these things and chat throw me up a hand emoji if you've heard these things but you know uh, not sweeping somebody's feet or that, or they won't get married. Uh, if your palm is itchy, money is coming to you. Um, don't set your purse on the ground. Cause you won't have money. Um, like all of those things like are rooted in hoodoo. All of those things are actually rooted in like African spiritualities. And these are ways that they, that knowledge kind of like stayed around in these and the, and this like, kind of like I, I don't want to say folklore like it is it's knowledge like this stuff like stuck around in different ways it's taken on a different aspect now and like you have these uber christian black mothers like telling people not to sweep their feet and they don't understand like that's rooted in where you came from like that's rooted in in your actual like in your ancestral spirituality not in christianity and it's not just some old wives tale like there's there's a story behind my that. um my mom's family is from south louisiana like mm. kunas cajun like the <laughs> most <laughs> my great-grandfather did not speak english until he was in high school my grandmother was called tebow for a petite ball because she was a little chubby growing up in her hometown like yeah very 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 cajun um and so my mom got married before her sisters um and they had to jump the broom because if, mm -hmm. if a younger sibling gets married before you have to jump a broom in order to have good luck. But these are also the same people who like when my grandmother wanted to take a break between having her first three children and her last two, she had to go to the priest to get permission because she was so Catholic. Yeah. And so like these two things are married together yeah. somehow. And without getting like too much into it, um, like, Voodoo is also like it is a blend of voodoo and like hoodoo, like African spiritualities and Catholicism. Like the the uh, the, <laughs> the oh. spirits that they caught, huh? 
super Catholicism. Like, oh yeah. Yeah, like that's- Anyway, like entrench, like dig down to the marrow and root that up and then blend it in. Like, yeah, yeah. Like that's why Marie Laveau, the original Marie Laveau was able to like be as prolific as she was is because the things that she were do- she was doing were steeped in Catholicism. So the church was like, especially the church in Louisiana was very much like, oh yeah, okay, that's fine. Like it's, it, okay. And um, like not full sale okay with it, but they weren't like out here after her. And um, the, you know, spirits that you connect with if you are initiated in, in voodoo are Abrahamic in nature. Like it's, it's, it's not this like, it, like, yes, it is a closed practice and it, you know, has roots in both like African spirituality and Catholicism, but like, it's not the same thing as the Orisha. Like it's a completely different pantheon. And it's, it's just so interesting the ways that, you know, these cultures adapt to survive. Yep, yep, yep. Like, I'm sure, like, aren't, there's still a lot of like, even though Ireland is like hella Catholic now, like there's still a lot of like Celtic practices that survive in some shape. Yeah, I don't want to talk too much on Ireland. <laughs> That's fair. It is a very, very complex system. And yeah. The Protestants, the Catholics, and the sort of the history as well is very, very highly entrenched in the people, and people have very, very strong opinions on them, and rightly so. There's a lot yeah. of, but I mean, just to just to look generically at some of that, like you have the the Saint Patrick mythology, which is pretty well known. He drove all the snakes out of Ireland, but. Ireland isn't it doesn't have snakes snakes. (laughs) so it's like the allegory of it being tied to the druids because snakes are a symbol people always think snakes are evil but that's just fucking rude in my opinion um read um but yeah it's it's pretty symbolic of like hey look our savior saint patrick came and he drove away all the snakes that were actually just the native druidic and pagan people that were just trying to live a nice quiet life but here you go yep 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 it's it's wild it's 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 all kinds of stuff like that and like i'm i'm honestly like i'm a i'm i'm more like i am um i'm not as well versed in like scott's myths either though like because like while you know it while yes you know celtic but they're all different types of celtic yeah it's it's, even there's a lot of sort of connections as you look from one to the other and you can you can mm-hmm. see where they all line up and like things like the the water horse mythology kelpies um, yes etc you can see hey here they are in irish here they are in scotland whoops nothing in england but here they are in welsh like you can <laughs> see those those staggerings across it but in variations kelpies are very much um scottish in origin and and tend to be more well versed in the in the scottish narrative but yeah there's a you can see the similarities but the variances but like part of northern ireland was very much like a scottish invasion but yeah it's so interesting when you look at that and there there's you know similar things among like indigenous cultures like you know uh, specifically you know like i like i know you know uh, i'm learning more and more about 
you know, my ancestral knowledge and things like that. And specifically, you know, I'm uh, Diné or Navajo and, and Cherokee. And, um, you know, there are things that the Eastern band of Cherokee practices and, and teaches, and there are things that the Western band practices and teaches, and there are similarities, but they're not the same. Mm-hmm. And then um, because like, here's, here's the tea chat. Like, I know you probably were told that like Native American people were at war with each other constantly and savagery and blah, blah, blah. But the real tea is that like, we didn't have wars the same way that Europeans did, number one. And number two, uh, I know like the Arawak specifically only have like two recorded wars in their history with other tribes. And like, there was such a like intermixing among tribes that like we had a universal sign language for trade. Like the, you know, a lot of people are familiar with dream catchers and there's something that appear you know, in a couple of different tribes, but they originated with the Ojibwe. They originated with the Anishinaabe people. And the reason they exist in other tribes is because we traded heavily with each other and we intermarried. Like, (laughs) it wasn't something that was, you know, not done. And so like our, our knowledge and our, you know, um, stories, like we share similarities. Like I think, you know, Thunderbirds are something that are pretty common among, you know, all of the tribes of the North Americas. Um, And, you know, there there are certain things that are like kind of like common among us. And then there are certain mythologies that are like specific to certain tribes. Um, And I think it's probably like a similar phenomenon among the different Celtic clans and the different the Shetland mythology around werewolves, which is, they're called wolvers mm. in the Scots mythology, is that instead of it being sort of like a human that transforms, blah, 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 it's the body of a man with the head of a wolf. Mm. And instead of being this horrendous creature that goes and eats people and blah, blah, they would actually take fish generally but food to the houses of those who most need it and leave those packages for them so that they they could eat and survive and that's like one of my favorite like you don't hear that about werewolves no no that that is a shetland story and it's it's actually what i'm going to be doing my main thesis on is going to be a film around the legend of the wolves and i'm probably going to take myself to shetland to do that because i feel like i owe it to shetland to do that um but yeah that's like no one hears that no one knows that story like and it's it's very straight up scottish like and i think yeah. it's the most scottish thing we could do like oh scary werewolf do you want better here's a nice werewolf <laughs> bye guys oh england's got shitty werewolves we'll give you gideons bye and that's like <laughs> the basis of it but it's obviously not i'm just being a dick but no, yeah but it's, like... it's it's a very like it's a very very different take on a very commonly known mythology yeah and like even like and that's what's like you know like um there are you know were creatures in a lot of different mythologies oh yeah um the indigenous peoples of uh of south america uh had uh, myths and usually surrounding jaguars because jaguars were super sacred to them you know, the, there are like were jaguars within uh, within South American culture, and then there is a 
mythos that we won't speak about from North American indigenous peoples that does it for darker reasons. Um, and we have, uh, but then you look at what's really interesting to me is the differences for how to like kill or cure a werewolf and the different ways mm-hmm. that werewolves are made. Like there's the myth that like drinking out of a, drinking water from a wolf's paw under the, from a wolf's paw print under a full moon is what triggers the change. And there's, you know, being able to be cured of being a werewolf by uh, someone who loves you calling your Christian name. Like there's so many neat, like, yeah, fuck the Christian name thing. <laughs> but like, <laughs> There's so many different like mythologies that spring up around the same idea. And it really just harkens back to the fact that like, we're all a universal people and there are these like universal stories. And like these, these stories still affect us today, even in like the way we pray, like look at the way like Christians pray and the way like ancient Greeks prayed, like ancient Greeks prayed in like and it was threefold so it was the um entreating of the god like uh calling out to them reminding them of like your relationship whether that be former former service to them or like just you know reminding them of that familiarity uh and then there was like the actual asking of the favor and like you still see that in like the way that um christian americans pray it's very much like our father who art in heaven like hallowed be thy name like that's the entreatment and then it's like you know um may everything I do be in service to you, like blah, blah, blah. Like there's this kind of like archetype of uh, there, this kind of blueprint for prayer that you can like draw a direct line back to, you know, Greco-Roman practices. I really find like the offerings of the God, like how that translates across so many different religions and then deviates them very slightly through different people is very, very interesting. One very um cool um fiction book but it's a historical fiction and and plays around with the the sort of chinese mythology around the time of the mongolian um and han dynasties um it's called she who wrote the sun she i will get the proper name for it because i just read it and that's very rude of me to have forgotten Uh, it's by shelly parker chan i can remember her name and it's a twist on sort of the Mulan fable of mm. it being a, a daughter who steps into the place of the son um, who is destined for greatness. Um, but in one of the one of the chapters, they purposefully poison their um, their squadron of of militia, and they do that by giving them the food that was left out as offerings for the dead. And that's one of the ways that they do that. Um, and I'm going to find the name of the book, but it, it essentially it, it acts like a plague and it's incredible. Yeah. It's such an interesting twist on that. that the peop- Because this, this character specifically can see the dead mm. and they can see them like consuming. They're not consuming the food because obviously the food doesn't go anywhere. But yeah, but it's similar to passes like that around. Yeah, it's it's this tampering with something that was destined for ancestors for the dead, a mark of respect by disrupting that the the chain of events that happened. Yeah, and that's and that's super interesting because that like pops in my head about like she who became the sun. Thank you. He who became okay. 
crab. That um, pops back into my head, the Trojan horse. So many people have the like misunderstanding that like, oh, they tricked them because they said it was a gift. Like, no, what it says is that they said, this is for our gods, don't fucking touch it. And they knew that they would. They knew that they would be that level of disrespectful. And so it's it's very interesting, like being able to play on your enemies that way and how, like, yeah. again, like that's something that we see across cultures that really didn't have much crossover. Yeah. And what's really interesting about that particular scene was that they did that to protect the squadron from actually going to fight and actually cause this kind of conflict that they, they knew would lose and pro- would progress in a way that wasn't to their mas- uh, machinations. Mm-hmm. So they disrupted it and that was, it was very, very interesting. I really like that. Also, if you would like to read queer literature about Chinese dynasties and Chinese mythology and history, then She Who Became the Sun, it, it only came out, I got an arc for it and it was flipping incredible. Like, oh, Mulan, I'm in. Oh, trans. <laughs> Yes. And that's, that's one thing that really like frustrates me, you know, as a person of trans experience, when people want to act like this is new or a fad, like, no, it's not. We've had like mythologies and like actual like people for ages, like Hermaphroditus in ancient Greek, like that. It's not a great representation because like, the myth of Hermaphroditus is that Hermaphroditus was the uh, son of Aphrodite and Hermes and was a beautiful young man. And like people wanted him, they, they, they loved him. And uh, he was just like, not really about it. Uh, and a water nymph saw him bathing in a, in a, in a private pool at one point and like wanted him and he rebuffed her. And so she latched herself onto him and entreated the gods that they should never be separated. And they were made into one person. Um, And later, you know, uh, I can't remember if it was Aphrodite or Hermes, um, but gifted him the ability or gifted them the ability to shift at will into the representation that, they needed or wanted or felt and um but like like this person was worshipped like there were shrines to hermaphroditus there were like you know there were people of trans experience the word originates from their name yeah the word that we use well we don't use that anymore (laughs) in questionable (laughs) circumstances right uh originated from there but then you have loki in norse mythology who is fluid as fuck Mm -hmm. and I mean, at least Disney did the bisexual thing. Thank you. Nope, nope. We're not doing that because no, (laughs) I didn't. I reject it because here's my thing. Not only are you blatantly doing trans erasure with Sylvie and like trying to serve this like narcissistic thing. You're also trying to cover up the fact that you don't know how to consolidate this character. Um, But also like this kind of throwaway line kind of blink if you miss it moment when you already have this character getting drunk in a in a bar cart like you could have just had him drunkenly make out with a with someone yeah. of male presenting nature if you wanted to make if you wanted to give us representation but this a kind great, of hand wavy bullshit i'm over it a great representation of loki's fluidity is in the magnus chase novels which is the the sort of connected novels to 
Percy Jackson by Rick mm-hmm. Ryan Orden. Thank Ryan you. Orden. I knew it was an R, but I couldn't remember mm-hmm. what. Uh, through the the child of Loki, who is very much gender fluid and doesn't accept one or the other. It's like, oh, today I feel more male. Today I feel more female. I'll let you know how I'm presenting that day. And it's never it's never really challenged or questioned. It's just accepted by Magnus. Yeah. And then it becomes a relationship, which is just beautiful. Sorry, spoilers, but it's beautiful. <laughs> Uh, it's so good when Um, kids when kids books are doing that and like you have powerhouses that aren't come on now guys yeah i mean you have like kids can't handle that stuff they don't understand what it means oh we already you don't understand what it means and you think that kids are stupid because well and you also it's also though it's also down to the fact that like cishet people pathologically sexualize queer experience uh-huh. and so like they can't in their own mind they cannot separate sexuality and, and sexual things from queer identity so they are they are then sexualizing children and saying that we're yeah. the ones doing it and no we're not we're just trying to give children the same vocabulary that cishet children have access to all the yeah. time and you want to talk about us sexualizing children have you seen riverdale also they're the same people that are like that girl's wearing a strappy top you need to send her home because that's unacceptable right her shoulders her shoulders gonna get everybody in here aren't Oh yeah, the or shoulders. Or that are putting their infants in onesies that are like lady killer. <laughs> and, they're like, and they're the same ones that ask five-year-olds about their little girlfriends on the playground. Like, yeah. But they understand. They understand when they do that that it's oh, it's not sexual. Yeah. Oh, it's just cute, isn't it? Oh, it's creepy. Bye bye. Hello, you. You. It's it's Bye-bye. fucking creepy. You know what's cute? Like giving children access to tools to help understand themselves. That's really fucking cute. I think uh, everybody yeah. should be wearing that this season. <laughs> my my friend's um, daughter, when she was in nursery school, was um, best friends with a little boy who always came to the dress up days and princess dresses. And if anybody tried to say anything about him, Lucy was like, I'm going to punch you in the face. Period. And she's like, she's my queen now. She's. 15 she's still my queen i love that yeah it's and she's she's like really really small so she gets like talked down to and she gets like kept getting knocked back in age like people keep just squeezing her down into this younger box and she's like please stop that yep it's like but i mean let's talk about sexualizing children they had a countdown to when emma watson turned 16 and it was a bunker when Natalie Portman was in her first movie, there was a countdown to when she turned 18. Like, Korea just recently raised their age of consent from 13 to 16. Like, there's this, like, obsession with youth and this, like, it's so A long time ago, people died when they were 30. But that's not such a problem anymore. So we don't need to focus on that. Well, and like statistically, that's not as true as we once thought because yeah. like it's all balanced out because the, the, I, mean, I mean, it is an average, average lifespan was 30, but you had like 15 children for every one adult who died in like infancy or two years old. Yeah. Yeah. So, was, so was the only... average is very skewed. This is fascinating. Yeah. 
it's wild um and yeah and and you ha- and what's what's also funny is like when we look at those like mean ages like when we look at those like average lifespans and things like that like we also like don't really have reliable averages because indigenous cultures weren't included in those things like you you, you have people in like parts of India and like uh, indigenous peoples to the Pacific islands living like long fucking lives, but white people weren't concerned with recording that history. And because white people predominate like, and and not in numbers, just in violence. (laughs) And let's be real. They were chucking shy out of windows about like, 20 years ago let's be real so (laughs) if people were dying it's probably because you were chucking shit on them as they were walking past that's literally that's literally why the black plague ran so rampant through the fucking european continent because people were chucking their shit everywhere they didn't have fucking reliable like at, at the time like at the time europeans were doing that indigenous peoples in the america had fucking aqueducts like... I, I went to uh Rhodes in greece one of the greek mm-hmm. islands and there is a sort of the remains of a village that's like over two thousand years old and it had plumbing mm-hmm. plumbing they had this big bowl at the top that was like dug in and full of water and they knew to put um oil on the top to stop it from evaporating and then you had the algae that protected it and then that filtered down through the houses to wash away all the bad stuff they had toilets toilets you had a pan and you went watch out steve out the window (laughs) yeah nightmare um technology yeah. It's like the most advanced thing that has happened is the, what the fucking Japanese have done with bidets. But every other fucking toilet, you use gravity in that bitch. Shit. No. The bidet shoots things Just up. gravity. That's different. My, my boyfriend and I were in Paris and um, he... When we went to the, the closest bathroom, which was in the, the Japanese museum there, and they have the very fancy Japanese toilets. I didn't see them for about half an hour. It's yeah. like trying every <laughs> second. <laughs> They're also heated. Bro. So, like, I know. Like, that's, that's a little disconcerting because over here, you sit down on a toilet and it is anything but cold. You know someone else's ass has freshly been there. So it's a little freaky. <laughs> However, it's too intimate. It's too intimate. I'll make out with a stranger, but I don't want to sit on the toilet seat after you. <laughs> but in in Japan, that heated toilet seat situation was a lifesaver when it was winter time because oh god, otherwise my ass would have gotten stuck to several toilet seats. But um, so to prevent butt being where someone else's butt is. They have these things that rotate around the toilet seat so it's kind yeah. of cleaning it. So you're not yep. in someone else's butt spot. Yep. That's totally like tangent. But again, like the Japanese <laughs> toilets and it has nothing to do with gravity. Yeah. I mean, the but, Japanese... but on this tangent, it's it's so yes. weird in Japan because they have these bidets and like these fancy ass toilets half of the places and the other half of the places, it's well, a hole. Yeah, it's yep. a hole. Well, and, and, 
And that's, you know, that's down to like Japan in some ways still very much has like an imperialist, like classist, like mindset. And they like very much have an unofficial like caste system. And so like, yeah. And like, and it's so interesting. Like I learned, like I learned, you know, not too long ago, like maybe like two years ago or so. The reason that, you know, you have, uh in english dubs the reason you have like people with american southern accents or like brooklyn accents in these animes is because they're trying to like it's an analog for the accent that that person would have in japan because that that's the thing is like you know everybody in japan doesn't speak the same way and they have accents just the same that like we do and they have regional dialects the same that we do and so it's very interesting when you learn those kinds of things. Yeah. I had someone in Osaka who refused to speak to me unless I spoke in Kansai Ben. Like a waiter at a restaurant who would not bring me water. <laughs> oh my God. So specific. There's no reason. Like he was being an asshole. Oh yeah. No, he was being an asshole. I think that was the same restaurant. And, and it was like in Dotenbury or somewhere. Um, and that I think that was the same restaurant where I went in. I was like, that's a pretty nice restaurant. He's being a dick. But uh, then I went to the bathroom and there was a spot toilet and I was like, okay, let me balance. (laughs) Yeah, the few times- Toilet, terrible waiter. I know. (sighs) A few times I tried to speak like Japanese sentences and phrases specifically at the dojo I was training at in Saku. Uh, They- Everyone there was super nice, but like I would try to say something in Japanese and they're like, oh, you sound too much like the city. Stop. And I'm like, I'm sorry. <laughs> I, the oh note expecting, I just thought you were going to be like, you're really bad at Japanese. They're like, you sound too much like city folk. That's fair. <laughs> I guess. Uh, how do you? Yeah. Say- and I mean, there's a similar phenomenon when like people learn Spanish, particularly when you learn Spanish and then go to Mexico because spoiler alert a lot of like mexican spanish is actually indigenous words that they have just that the indigenous peoples kind of spoke along with the spanish and so it became adopted and like and that's the thing is like i was um there was a like native content creator uh that i follow um show me your mask i think it's show me underscore your mask she's great her main account is banned right now because she was talking about pipeline three um but she has a backup account that's like show me your mask like 939 or something like that if you guys want to go check her out i love her um but yeah like um she was talking about how her grandfather said better to be mexican than indigenous not that those things are different because spoiler alert chat dear listener being Mexican is an, an inherently mixed indigenous identity. Um, like if you are Mexican in ethnicity and not nationality, you're more than likely native. But the you know indigenous tribes in Central and South America, you know, after colonization happened, they were able to kind of keep some of their words and they gave some of their practices a different slant so that they were able to kind of incorporate it into the spirituality and religion being pushed by the Spanish. And so when you go to Mexico and you try to speak this Spanish that you learned through high school and college, 
you're speaking a colonizer's language. And so they'll understand what you're saying, but they're also going to be like, okay. Ish. Uh, the, it's very similar in, in Quebec with the, the French and the Quebecois. French. My, yeah, my, my partner is, is from Quebec. And if you ask him if he speaks Quebecois, he says, no, I speak French. And there is a, there is a thing. It's a big thing. It's, yeah. We still like, even, like Americans are just shafted when it comes to learning a foreign language in high school and everything. Because if you also try to take that same Spanish you learn in high school, middle school here and go to Spain and speak that, they are going to look at you and kick you out of a restaurant. Yeah. You're like, I don't know what the fuck you're doing, but no, you are mm-hmm. from this region. Like you're already going to get knocked off because like you're not speaking that region's dialect, which is obvious. Yeah. But like you start speaking like the bastardized American version of Spanish that is like not anything specific. Like, n- no. Yeah, even even just going to like one side of a city to another side of the city, you you can encounter so many tro- like so many problems. And it's so interesting too because like when you look at things like Quebec, um, the Quebecos and the French in Quebec is more true to the French that used to be spoken because like the thing about language and etymology is that like languages change over time especially with trade and you end up getting loan words like there was a word in Japanese for lettuce before they started before it became lettuce like there's the different word for it but because of heavy trade of and things opening up like it became easier to adapt that than it was to just continue using their actual word. Um, so, and there, there's with, stuff like that all over the place. With French in particular, um, etymolo- etymologically, is that the right word? Etymologically, yeah. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the Kunas Cajun French that my family spoke, because it is so isolated in the swamps, like you don't trade with anyone, it's just your people, um, is very much like, older French like more of the the French that would have been brought over when Mm -hmm. they first began colonizing well Um, yeah and so the thing that a lot of people don't know is like they're Cajuns are white uh and like Cajuns are white for a reason Cajuns came from Canada they were the French that were like kicked from Canada and so uh like when the like when the English took it over that they were kicked from Canada and they came down and like with their Canadian accents were like oh yeah I am I'm a Canadian like in that way and so you had Creole and Louisiana people at the time oh you're Cajun you're Cajun and that's how Cajun became a thing. Creole people are black. And like there's yes. there's a little bit more like range of skin tones within Creole culture and within like Creole identity. But yeah, if you're Creole, like you have you have black lineage. Um, yes. which is why I maintain that Rogue should be black. Um anyway, because she is Creole, yeah. Gambit is Cajun. Yeah. Uh, um, uh, I, I have so many feelings about like particularly like going out to restaurants and they're like, it's a Cajun restaurant. And I'm like, okay, I want gumbo. And they serve me this red sauce. And I'm like, that's fine. That is a version of gumbo, but that is Creole gumbo, not Cajun. And that's not what I was expecting because I'm Cajun and I want like Cajun. I, it's it's home food for me. Like it's comfort yeah. food. It's like chicken soup for me. And mm-hmm. you serve me, you know chicken ramen that's fine but it's like not it's, what I was it's expecting. close but it's not what I was looking for yeah 
Yeah. Yeah. And like I like I like I make I have I make Creole gumbo because like that's what I know and that's what like I I wasn't necessarily like raised up with it but like I was introduced to it very young and so like the recipe that I know and the uh well recipe like everything's in the hand Uh, (laughs) we don't measure yeah Um, no 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 there's no measurements no absolutely not but yeah if you're cooking a gumbo recipe that requires measurements you are doing it wrong if you're cooking it like if you're cooking in my house, or at least for me, if you're cooking and you're using measurements, you're doing it wrong. If you're baking, you <laughs> yeah. have to. But baking if you are science. cooking, baking is fucking chemistry. <laughs> yes. But if if you're cooking is- and you're out here pulling the teaspoon out, child, mm-mm. like it's it, it's fine. But half the time when you're measuring, you're not putting enough in anyway. But <laughs> I hate it when I'm like, oh, I have this recipe, like recipe for a really nice curry sauce. Oh can you just give me that recipe? Okay, you just need these spices. Throw them together. But how much of them? Like, I don't know, to taste. And taste that's the it. thing that I learned. That's the thing that I learned recently is like most white people in America like aren't tasting things as they're eating them. They're, I've been they watching don't... a lot of Gordon Ramsay and that would piss him right off. Right, because like... <laughs> there's a whole line about it in Shakespeare and Romeo and Juliet. Like there's, there's a line where the King is talking about, like, I don't trust a cook that won't like lick their finger. And it's both about like the preparedness of the food, but also about plague. So like if the cook isn't tasting the food, they're worried that that cook is sick and they don't want to tell anybody. And so, yeah, it's super interesting. And like, we are way the fuck off topic. (laughs) (laughs) How did we get here? But truly, and I, and but like to tie it back in, like there's a lot of myth around food in indigenous cultures as well. Like a lot of like the ways that we do things is passed down because of like stories and knowledge given to us. And like the reasons we do things are very different. Um, I mean, ham hocks and black eyed peas and collard greens for New Year's mm-hmm. is one of those Appalachian mm-hmm. mi- old wives tales. For, yeah. for Scots, and, it's and... reasonable to put salt in porridge. You would have like a salty oatmeal because the way to preserve it was to cook it and then dry it in sheets of with the salt. And then you would just, that would see you through the winter. You would smash that mm. up and then reheat. So my granddad, who was English, it was Scottish, would put salt in his porridge. My granny, who was English, made it with sugar. That's neat. One thing that was um, interesting to me um, as I was kind of relearning things and delving back into my like ancestry and ancestral practices um, is like the food that natives made. And like um, one thing that um, was uh, made in uh, in Uh, Navajo circles was essentially like what was a fruit jerky where they would take like fresh wild berries and like cook that over the fire and like reduce that to this kind of almost jam like texture and then would like lay it out as a sheet and like cook that and it produced this sort of like indigenous fruit roll-up situation. like and so it was a lot easier for for the hunters to like carry like fresh fruit like not necessarily fresh but like foods with them because they couldn't you know take you know whole berries with them because they they would end up getting smashed and like 
you know, all of that. So they could, they could take these and they would have something that would provide them energy and it was easier to store and carry. Just so fucking neat. Like the ingenuity that we had and the know-how that like, just like. And if you cook, if you cook fruit down far enough, I'm sure um, there is a ratio of juice to sugar that becomes shelf stable. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. And another practice that I see across a lot of different, the burying of things like foods, like yep. in a lot of indigenous cultures to North America did it, but it was also done in like Scandinavian cultures. I, yeah, I done... tend to have a fermented shark dish that they bury. Yeah, the, uh, the, the Irish and the fucking bogs. Like people would put things in bogs and not put a marker. And so that's why to this day, we're finding wild ass shit in bogs. Like a whole road was just like uncovered from a bog recently. Uh, Koreans it's with kimchi wild. would do the same thing in a hole. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And it- natto, again, like any, any permanent mm. stuff in Japan, like wasn't always like directly in a, the ground, but they made structures or barrels that mimicked the ground that were easier, easier for them to like go in and like hand mix things that they were very physical mm-hmm. with it. Um, I am going blank. It's a, it's 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 not not though. It's a different fermented process. But like the woman documentary and Granny just just Obasan and she would open this casket and like she had washed everything but then she would yeah dip her entire arm in it and just turn this rice something over and had to deal with tofu um anyway she would like physically and the the people filming were like you don't have gloves and she's like no oils from skin good for this and i was like what yeah wild again the chemistry of it was fascinating but she's like it's easier when it's in a barrel in my house i can keep it the right temperature and then my oils help it she's just sitting there like doing Mm -hmm. this tossing something over it was wild and it also comes down to like the the variation that like japan had in temperature so like the ground in the winter gets too hard to like dig stuff up and a lot of the time the things that they were fermenting and preparing were for the winter because it was harder to harvest things like and it and it's so like wild and 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 the ways that like people are trying to erase these practices and things it has no like it has no um thought or respect for what's going on like look at fucking PETA we hate PETA PETA are nothing but liars and like they're not what they purport to be at all but like even beyond PETA like there are other groups that are trying to infringe on the hunting rights of native peoples of the Canadian regions and the Arctic regions and it's like well why don't you do this or that why don't you just go grocery shop for food because Food is prohibitively expensive in like Alaska and the and the most northern parts of Canada because everything has to be imported. And the reason that, you know, the these indigenous peoples mostly subsist on meats is because they can't grow things. The, like like they can't grow a lot of edible foods. So it's very interesting, actually. Um, a part of the reason that the whale was so um I I had a partner who wanted to do this thing where they just ate all meat um, and like with, with no veggies or any supplements. Um, and so doing research, I was like, that sounds like a not great idea for like nutrient balance. That, also and it's not, not a great idea for your toilet. Like that's not going to well. 
No. Sorry, I should I should let Lex drink before punchline. Damn, that's like three times we've made them. Shit. <laughs> um, oh my god. But so <laughs> in particular, I think it was I the whale blubber though, um, mm-hmm. particularly contains a lot of the niacin. I think it is and the vitamin C that they don't get from the actual meat itself, and that's one of the reasons why whales were considered so sacred is because Mm -hmm. you could get these nutrients that you needed like if you just ate any other animal you would wind up with deficits and and deficiencies that made you ill but if you ate whale and you ate the blubber specifically you would be healthier overall and what is so wild about whaling um and like when white people got a hold of it and started doing it they didn't do it right at all um, and they didn't understand how to do it. And native people weren't like, like would have, if you hadn't like tried to fucking kill them, would have tried to help you live. But you know, that whole thing happened and they, they didn't understand how to harvest the oil, like the blubber, the fat, they didn't understand how to break it down and harvest it in the correct ways because it's so thick. And in order to like, you have to heat it so that it melts so that you can actually harvest it off. But because they could, they like, didn't like, there aren't abundant trees. So they didn't really know like how to light these fires. They started lighting fucking penguins on fire to burn these fucking whales down because penguins are actually mostly blubber. Um, And so like they were, they would pile the, they would kill and pile these penguins up on this whale carcass and burn these penguins in order to harvest the fat from the whale instead of just harvesting the fat from the penguins. Like, who were much more abundant than the whales and like it's it's wild like when you like like when we talk about like uh colonizers and like uh, modern science and medicine catching up to indigenous knowledge like we're fucking serious (laughs) (laughs) what is interesting in sort of like scotland as well is deer and venison hunting Mm -hmm. they do that to cull the numbers because there's no natural predators for deer so deer are actually pests and they yeah. eat a lot of the crops so if you don't go out and call the numbers then you lose other vital parts of the ecosystem and actually they they're doing a lot of reintroduction of of different species and i went to the isle of Kana, which is very privately owned but they're reintroducing um cows onto the island and because the cows are there and they're eating the crops it's chasing the deers further out so it's pushing the deers away but it's also reintroducing nutrients into the ground so that balance of the ecosystem that because the deer were just eating everything yeah they eating everything they had there was no boundaries for the deer they could just eat piss shit wherever they want and that was damaging the soil. Like there's all those little like nuances that people don't take into consideration. And just by being like, I'm gonna put some cows there, that'll be all right. <laughs> if they chain, they would like already seeing massive changes into the landscape. That's just and that's, like, like incredible. Yeah, that's just like where uh, where in California they've reintroduced wolves and like, yeah. you know, the ecosystems are now like thriving in a way that they haven't in decades, generations even. And it and it's so interesting when we look at these things and also like the British Isles don't have a lot of predatory animals. Yeah. Like 
what is that about? Like, that is so wild to me because like I grew up in America, which is so incredibly diverse as far as like ecosystems are considered. We have like everything from like, like, Arctic temperatures to like subtropical temperatures to deserts to plant like we have all of these sorts of ecosystems and all of this biodiversity that was incredible and like and like other places aren't like like I'm all I it always like baffles me when I'm like oh no like the British Isles are wet and green and like low on predators. Like humans are the are the apex yep. predator. Mm-hmm. It's so wild. Yep. We have y'all had snakes. to have aquatic predators. Um, <laughs> we have otters and seals, and we get the whales. Mm. Yes, otters mm-hmm. are great. I love them. Um, I've seen otters and seals, which is really cool. Um, actually saw a lot of otters around the Isle of Kana, which was really nice. Um, they're so cute. When, uh, when I went to Maine, yeah, when I went to Maine, I saw some baby seals. Um, and um, they're actually, as the tide came in, there was this little like alcove of rocks that made a pool when the tide came in, and there were two eels in that pool, Ooh. like swimming around each other. Yeah, but like. Bringing it back to, you know, mythology (laughs) here and storytelling. um, That's what I like, you know, and we, we talked a little bit about the blending of those things, but like, there are, there are things that like are specific to like kale, uh, Creole and Cajun culture. And like, you know, there, there are things that are specific to that because it's a melding of, you know, the sort of, indigenous stories from Canada that the white people heard and brought and some of the stuff that they brought with them from Europe and then the things that they learned within Louisiana like do you have any like store any stories that you have like learned through your life about that are there any old wives tales that your grandparents told you I mean I'm sure that there are here's the thing um so much of it is just how I grew up and I don't know anything Mm. different that I don't I, I catch myself saying things like, um, for Easter, we pluck eggs, which apparently no one else does. And no one really knows what it is. Yeah. So, so like, t- tell the people, let's, let's, let's so, play Pokedex. <laughs> so, yeah. Like, I, so, so, um, it's a game. It's a dumb game. It's apparently a really old game from France, um, that has been aged out, but you take your dyed eggs and you have little egg battles. Oh, we roll those down a hill. Crack. So uh, we yeah, take them and paint them yeah, you, and then roll them down a hill. And you, then you, whoever's this most intact at the end is the winner. Yeah, my grandfather used to cheat and super glue the ends of his eggs. <laughs> Beautiful. Brilliant. Such a granddad power move. Fucking brilliant. Um, um, that's so I mean, funny. obviously there's the Christmas crackers that are so common in Europe that in Europe. are that still survive as a part of the the Cajun culture. Um, The garçonneries are something that I think is um, very native to Creole cultures specifically. Um, Mm -hmm. There there are a couple of things with houses, in fact. Um, So a lot of houses in South Louisiana will have two front doors to confuse the spirit. Yes. Um, Well, that's similar to in um, Japanese. They say moshi moshi because it's to confuse kitsune. (laughs) I like that. Yeah. So you'll have like a 
a corner on your front porch and you'll have a front door here and then a front door here and they'll go to like different rooms even um to to confuse the spirits um and then if you have like a more traditional house that doesn't have the that corner front porch often there is a staircase that goes upstairs um from the outside and that's where any boys in the family would sleep so that they were also like you were protecting the rest of the house because there was a second entrance so there's always a double entrance in um pretty much any south louisiana like cajun culture sort of home that you go to there's always a second door that's super interesting that reminds me of the witch windows that you see in like the pennsylvania in like the pennsylvania area um which is um if for those unfamiliar uh witch windows are these sideways like long windows that look super out of place but the thought behind it is that the witch couldn't fly her broom into it although like fun fact uh flying on a broom came from the uh practice of putting certain uh oils and botanicals on the end of a broomstick and inserting them places and so witches flew on a broomstick because they would do like solanacea blends or like hembane like different medicinally poisonous plants uh that they knew how to use properly in order to get the desired effects um it's um you know, not the same, but similar to the practice of like using peyote in the in the presence of a medicine man and going on a journey in that way. Like they used, they weren't just like getting high. Like they did this in ritual space. Like this was, you know, a way to connect, and it was a part of their spirituality. And so, like it, it, it like stuff like that is just super interesting, and the etymology of phrases like that, uh, like flying on a fucking broomstick, <laughs> like. Thematically, oh, with witches, less about flying on brooms, uh, but still modes of transport. My friend lives in Hull, and I got a folk store, uh, folk lore and superstitions map, and I yes. I found all the places that my friends live. Obviously, just to see what was <laughs> was going around there. That's the first thing I did, and in Hull, there's a little recommendation that you should smash your eggshells so that a witch can't turn them into a boat. And um, I mentioned it to her and she was like, I've always smashed my eggshells. I didn't know why. And like, that's, that's interesting. so cool. Um, such a weird thing to have prevailed. And she didn't know why she did it. She just knew that she did it. Um, and that's because why. I was familiar. I was familiar boat. with fairies. I was familiar with fairies using eggshells as boats, but I was not familiar with like witches yeah. using eggshells. which is actually really interesting because like as somebody who practices like eggshells are actually used a lot in like protective magic and things like that uh you you uh separate you boil them you separate the membrane and then you crush it into a fine powder and like you use eggshell powder lots of people use it in wards or other types of protective magic uh so that's super interesting to me um i would unfold the map but it's very big (laughs) (laughs) just be here for like just to find it but it is just like two little lines right next to holland holes um a port town very much in the way of like that sort of sea mythology and stuff like that which is very cool but yeah witch boats 
Yeah, and I mean, honestly, like Port Towns is where you get some of the most interesting folklore and mythologies because you have peoples from all over the world like coming there ostensibly. And so, and some of them set up shop and live there. And so like parts of their culture kind of invade and become pervasive throughout, you know, uh, everyone else. And it just becomes like a part of it. Like that's what's going on in Appalachia and all of those things is like, you know, all of these people- Oh, sorry. I was just going to say Dublin has a very big uh, Viking influence for that very reason, because they were kind of like looking for America, got a bit lost. (laughs) It's all right. Park up here. Um, So So you can see a lot of cool Viking shit in in Dublin. Yeah. So hearkening back a little bit to our earlier conversation about how mythology, like everywhere has... um, uh, this is going to play in a bunch, actually, um, but yeah. like a flood myth. Um, mm-hmm. And then all of these cultures have these very similar mythos, like vampires and werewolves and various versions. You know, they're, they're different in each culture, but there's almost a version of one in almost every culture. Um, yeah. Like it, Japanese has an aswang, I think is what they're called. Uh, there's several different kinds of yokai that that's true are vampiric yeah yeah that is how Um, to say that (laughs) so there have been studies done um within like the horror movie genre that talk about how different mythos become really popular when the society is facing different struggles Yes. Um, and so it's very interesting to me, and I haven't looked into it enough, so I'm definitely not like purporting to be like, I'm not going to give any real information aside from like, let's talk about this thing. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the idea that these mythos probably or might have come about because of different societies facing kind of the same challenges. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like um, you see, like you see you know, a huge uptick in like, you know, vampire, uh, vampire or vampiric adjacent folklore, you know, having existed for a really long time, but you see a huge uptick in it with tuberculosis. Um, and you see uh, a huge uptick in, you know, the way that, oh, like they don't look monstrous, they look like people because when they were like digging these people up, it had been so cold that they, they're they taking them out of this freezing ground. So the body is remarkably well-preserved. So they're like, <gasps> you're getting up at night and eating people. Like when really, no, those people had just come into contact with them and contracted tuberculosis. <laughs> Um, and yeah, it was, it's really interesting. And like, um, the, the different ways that, uh, things pop up and like, um, the folklore, especially around like death, dying and afterlife, um, is a big one too. Zombie, yes. Well, and there's a like zombies are a real thing, but like Hollywood took it and made it something completely different and gross. Um, but like, yeah, like zombies are a real thing. It's just not, you know, what Hollywood has made it into. Like, it that's wild. Like, and so fascinating. Like for so many reasons, and I think you know. It's all well and good to like make these adaptations and like have fun and like play with these things, but like we need to do it from a place of respect. And it it just 
It's so telling when we look at the mythologies that are treated with respect and that are treated with a bit of a reverence. Um, like um, when we look at Arthurian legend, um, you know, that's something that has progressed and changed as it was more and more Anglicanized because, you know, it's originally a Celtic myth. Yep. Uh, <laughs> my favorite Celtic myth. Right? Oh it's, it's so good. But as like various like Christian authors like took it and put in their little fanboy self-insert nights, like things changed and changed and changed. There is an adaptation that's just come out of Gwen and the Green Knight with Dev Patel, <laughs> yes! and I really want to see it. I very into seeing that i am going to watch it very we need to time when we watch it and then have a chat like a big discussion about it please i love that absolutely we we can make this happen yeah arthurian (laughs) arthurian legend uh was do you know what i'm gonna take back my earlier statement arthurian legend is probably my intro into any sort of mythology Mm. and like we went to Cornwall when I was a kid and we went to Tintagel, which is like the Merlin Caves. We went to all these places. I live like half an hour away from a place called Arthur's Seat, for crying out loud. Like that is supposed right. to be his resting spot uh, on the top of a now extinct volcano. So like my immersion into like my whole life as a storyteller started with Arthurian legend can't believe i forgot i've betrayed them i'm so sorry well okay so like i also (laughs) i also have to make a retraction because my first my first introduction to mythos especially a broad one uh was actually gargoyles uh Mm -hmm. the the disney Mm -hmm. channel show um and (laughs) (laughs) i'm gonna take a, a lisa maza cosplay to dragon con Oh my god, yes. <laughs> yes, yes to gargoyles. gargoyles. Yeah, can, I come to, can I come to Dragon Con? Please do, yes. please do. Because, okay, like, so gargoyles, a little bit problematic because we are taking these, uh, you know, in later seasons, spoiler alert, but like it's a cartoon series from the 90s. So if you haven't seen it, it's on Disney Plus and Amazon. Uh, um, and go to Amazon if you don't want to give the mouse money. Yeah. Uh, um, but we don't want to give Bezos but money. But then do we want to give like, it to Bezos? Yeah. You can't find a fucking box set of it anywhere. So like, but the thing about gargoyles um it was incredible and incredibly progressive and liberal for its time its main character elisa maza is half native half black um the gargoyles were incredible and goliath is a black man like i don't care that they gave him white skin when he was turned into a mortal that's a black man yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um but yeah, like gargoyles, you know, at first we just follow the gargoyles as they are adjusting to modern life. But in later seasons, we are introduced to other creatures and other folklore because the whole thing with gargoyles, it's that there are three races. There are gargoyles, mortals, and the children of Avalon. And But they took children of Avalon and just kind of 
made it very broad so that even Anansi and Odin and Coyote get kind of absorbed into Children of Avalon. And that's where it's like, this is colonization. <laughs> but you, but they do handle those specific, like they give those stories their own moment to shine. Like I think they did like with Coyote's episode by himself, like it was really well done. It was, it really, really was. You have yeah. like base, cause across like different groups, Coyote and Crow are ironically, uh, uh, base figures across multiple uh, uh tribes mythos and it, it they did they did a really good job showing that push and pull between those two archetypal characters and you kind of come out of the episode going wait who is the bad guy and that's the point right really you come out of it going xanatos is still the bad guy <laughs> Why? is one of like the greatest evil lines of all time coming out of Riker, evil Riker, in the first freaking episode of that show. Like, if you why? pay a man enough, he'll walk barefoot through hell. Holy shit! Yep. Shit or like Chaucer or like something. No, freaking 90s cartoon, man. It was so good. And like the episode handling Anansi was done super well. And like both of these episodes were centered around Elisa because this was happening when um, they had had to go to Avalon to defend the children that they had left. So, okay. <sighs> Back. <laughs> tracking a little bit to explain gargoyles they you know they were attacked by vikings they were betrayed by the person who's supposed to protect the castle really he was just trying to betray the people who lived in the castle but the the vikings said no we're killing the gargoyles too and so they killed most of the gargoyles but luckily they had their eggs in the rookery underground so the vikings didn't know about them and there are a couple of the, there were a couple of grown gargoyles under there and so the grown gargoyles go to get revenge. They get revenge. The princess is like, oh, I'm so sorry. I got your friends turned into stone. How can I make it up to you? And he's like, protect our eggs. And then he gets himself turned into stone and they're turned into stone until the castle rises above the sky. So that's what Xanatos does. He, he transports this castle brick by goddamn brick <laughs> all the way to New York City on top of a skyscraper so it can be above the clouds. Later on, we find that the princess and those eggs was transported to Avalon in order to escape persecution and are now being attacked by a wizard that Goliath had wronged, blah, blah, blah. But he hadn't really wronged him. He exacted justice. Anyway, they've hatched. And so, uh, (laughs) truly, especially a white one uh, but as goliath and alisa are trying to return and his daughter angela is coming with them um they're leaving avalon but when you leave avalon you don't go where you want you go where you need to be and so the stories including coyote and anansi were both where Elisa needed to be because she needed to reconnect with her heritage and her, you know, spirits. And like, that's what that provided her. And like, they, they tell these really beautiful stories and they do a good job. Like even Odin is handled well. Um, it's, it's literally just the, like making it all children of Avalon. <laughs> it's the problem. Asterisks to all this gargoyle stuff. There's technically three seasons. Don't watch yes. the third season. Don't, don't, 
don't put yourself through that horrendous experience. It's just season one and season two. And that, and it just was tragically canceled at season two is how we look at that. Yeah. Cause what happened is um, the, the, the original writer and showrunner for Gargoyles was hella liberal and was trying to do what he should have, but by Disney standard, he was doing too much. And they were like, you're gone, but we're keeping gargoyles. Um, and so it really, like the show takes an entirely different direction. That doesn't sound like Disney at all. I'm really shocked by this. I don't believe it. And literally no. he he talks about how Lexington was supposed to be gay. Like uh, he wanted Lexington to be a queer icon. Um, and like, he should have been. Cute. He would have been. He would have been fucking precious. Like, and he he's this cute. And like, I, I mean, you can't really apply twink to a monster but like he's a twink and like he's a fucking nerd and like he was the gargoyle that was all about learning about human culture and learning about technology and like really immersing himself in everything and so it was was really neat like they all had very neat personalities and neat cultures and I think it was super neat because like gargoyles are a mythos that not a lot of cultures have like gargoyles are fairly specific um and so to kind of bring them into this and like really bring them to life was really beautiful and interesting um because i believe gargoyles are originally like a scots thing aren't they they're definitely UK based. Mm-hmm. My biggest interaction with gargoyles was actually when I lived in York um, because the minster is absolutely covered in them. And then also they have very similarly like cats on like in places where you would expect gargoyles to be. They have those up and down the streets too. That's interesting. Um, Egyptians <gasps> also had a similar thing with cats. They weren't the Mummy get uh, listen, we love the movie The Mummy. We do, we do. It's incredible. It's but nice. their interpretation of the way cats worked in the Egyptian spirituality is very, very wrong. They weren't yeah. they weren't guardians of the underworld. They were essentially tattletales. Yeah. <laughs> we like it, we know what it was like, I'm gonna like. get Anubis on you. Like <laughs> very, very much that energy. Well, you would have, be very offended. You have um, Ketsi in Celtic mythology as well, which is like the walking across graves, stealing all the souls. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and like, I don't know if this is a thing across America, but certainly in the American South and in the, the regions of Appalachia, they talk about cats stealing a baby's breath. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. The reason I responded to that is, um, so kind of hearkening back to the question that uh, Aaron was answering of like, what are the things that I grew up with that I didn't quite know was, so I did not realize like the intricacies and small nuances of like the the more native side of my family and Hispanic Mm -hmm. things from my father's side until being around my husband's family who are very, very white, lovingly, very white. Um, and his grandmother freaked out when she found out that my parents let their big giant yellow tomcat sleep with me as a baby. Cause she was like, you're so lucky you didn't steal your soul. And I was like, what the fuck is that? Yeah. Like, like from that perspective, he was my guardian mm-hmm. that he was there to protect me from anything else coming in the house. 
but for her coming from different backgrounds, she's like, oh, lucky he didn't steal your soul. How does it count? Yeah. <laughs> what? Yeah, there's this there's this whole mythos in the Americas about cats stealing someone's breath. And I'm honestly not entirely sure where it comes from because I haven't looked into it too much. But I know like the practical reason for it is because occasional like cats are good with kids, but not all cats are like and and what can happen, especially because cats are super curious and with their own young, they sit on top of them. And so with babies, a lot of the times what would happen is they'll sit on baby's chest or on baby's face, like too close to baby's faces and the baby can't get good breath because the nasal passages are so small. And most of the time you had pacifiers in the baby's mouth or, you know, like they, the baby couldn't breathe through its mouth because the cat was there so it would effectually steal the child's breath but like i'm sure there's like a deeper myth behind it because they'll they like it's like people don't like put their children like their small infants around cats like if there's a cat in a home like they will hold their infant the whole time and it's so wild to me (laughs) launch straight from that into like the whole black cat thing yeah those is the, the 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 individual that has three of them and yep. i just fully accepted what that means in life <laughs> <laughs> whoops it means Whoa. your life is super enriched yes. <laughs> i have lots of luck around me and a lot of protection yeah. i'm fine exactly mm-hmm. well cat c was a black cat with a, a little white patch on its tummy yeah. well mm-hmm. chest yeah uh, and that is Heaven. Heaven boy has a little, little bitty white, like few streaks of white right here, and that's it. Yes. I have one white whisker, but I think it fell out. <laughs> and just, yeah. I um yeah like the the stuff surrounding cats is super interesting, um especially as it pertains to like some indigenous tales because like we didn't have domesticated cats but we had wild cats um like one of the major north american megafauna was the saber-toothed tiger like like and that's what's so weird and the the last living north american megafauna is the moose yeah. um can we just pause there oh because people do not understand how big moose are moose can run 40 miles per hour in six feet of snow easy and like bison are big don't fuck with bison but moose are bigger moose are bigger than bison and if you hit a moose going 40 miles per hour in your car the moose will be fine but you're fucking dead like moose kill more people than sharks Because most people, they've seen video of like bison coming up to cars and they're about the same size as an SUV. Like Mm -hmm. a SUV Jeep kind of thing. That's the size of a bison. The bison will probably weigh a little more than the vehicle. Moose are bigger. Moose are bigger. Yep. Moose will dive 20 feet deep in water just to eat the vegetation at the bottom. Yep. Like help and and. Uh, they're fucking terrifying and amazing and i you know respect them completely the indigenous peoples that like 
hunted them, mad respect, like could not be me. Like, oh my God. Like I would rather go up against a bear than a moose, honestly. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, the moose makes the bear look like, you know, a house cat. That's easy, that's easy. The bison no longer intimidating. No, like we domesticated them. Like, no, like, like. One of those other things about the plains that people don't want to acknowledge. Right, like the, the, the plains people, the tribes of the plains, like were incredible when it came to not only like their agriculture, but the way that they like worked the, the fauna as well. Like the, the bison migration pattern was completely shaped by human intervention. Um, and, you know, it's just wild wild absolutely insane oh back to cats yeah but like native people with cats like there are there are stories there are stories and there are knowledges of like cats speaking and even to this day like it there are cats like if you have a domesticated cat like listen to it because sometimes instead of just straight meowing they make these noises that almost mimic a child's cry and it's incredibly like eerie and and so like there are lots of like tales that revolve around you know dark individuals using things like that and and doing things like that um and that you know i hate to you know reference Pocahontas because like I have a very complicated relationship with that but the whole line about the grinning bobcat like that's a thing like that's a that's a spirit that's a tale that we had bobcat bobcat is one of those archetypes uh, cougar yeah archetypes mm-hmm. those were the cat Let- people and creatures nothing mm-hmm. really more there's so much that like survived like there's so much knowledge that survived but like it didn't at the same time right because we know these things and we have these tales and we we have these sayings but we don't know why like i still don't know where like your palm itching meaning money is coming to you comes from we we have a funny variation on that um if you have an itchy palm it's left to leave right to receive so left means you're giving money away and right means you're getting money that's the one i've heard yeah okay i had never heard that specific an itchy nose means you're gonna get in a fight that's another one that my mom does Um, for us uh a shiver running down your back means someone uh walked over your grave yeah Um, that's that's one of us and that's tied to uh ketsy yeah that's what i thought goes over the the graves and uh ketsy is also probably the reason why we think cats have nine lives because there's Mm. a mythology of it being a witch who could turn into a cat nine times and that was the the time with that yes yes i remember i uh aaron aaron mankey taught me about that uh yeah like there's so many wild and like what's so interesting to me is like uh is uh you know like part of my like celtic heritage like the the banshee and like number one it's really funny because it's kind of a pun because her name just means fairy woman and uh, (laughs) but um originally you know she they they only cried for the noble families the 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 what five uh five uh high clans uh or 
something like that i'm sorry i'm probably butchering it i'm a little less up to date with irish than oh, got you. in particular but it sounds good <laughs> but then My what irish happened friend is isn't like... here to tell me off so i'll say it is <laughs> <laughs> uh if you're irish in the chat tweet at me at at lex stop talking uh and i will do a correction it will just be lex stop talking. <laughs> <laughs> like lex shut the fuck up um, but yeah, originally, like, she only cried for noble families uh, until, like, clans started intermarrying and, like, that sort of kind of, like, broke down. And and then, you know, her cry was kind of, like, for anybody. So if you hear it, like, you don't need to... And there's, yes! And there's another, um, there's another mythology, um, I know, in the Isle of Cork about um, a white woman and seeing seeing a white woman especially by a river like you don't need to go home and you don't need to be alone uh because that 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 foretells of your death yeah. um and like it can be avoided but you have to alter your path um and so like but there are lots of you know things like that like for um for some tribes uh the owl is both a keeper of time and a messenger of death and it's not a dark thing and like colonization kind of tried to turn the owl into a dark spirit and no like in in all honesty like it was a good thing because it gave you that time to prepare and it allowed you you know that kind of okay it's we gotta get things right we gotta get things in order we gotta know what we need to do yeah the owl owl was never about malevolence it Mm -hmm. was this is knowledge that you need this moment well she the owls tied in with athena in a lot of uh retellings which would then be that link to wisdom Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah it's it's incredible like um and yeah and i think and i think it also you know goes back to you know the way these communities thought about things so like with a lot of like indo-european knowledge mythologies and spiritualities uh death was a little bit more final and was uh and because you know it tended to be a little bit more individualistic you know that death was seen as such a negative so like spirits who foretold of death were were not liked and and you didn't really engage with them that's why there aren't a lot of myths about persephone and about hades is because people were afraid to kind of get their attention they didn't they didn't want especially persephone's attention turned on them um um, but like in a lot of indigenous spiritualities, especially like in the Americas and in Africa's like spirits related to the, the afterlife and the, the passage of life were a lot more revered and a lot more like it. And it's not that, you know, Europeans didn't respect their death spirits and deities, but they, they feared them. Whereas, you know, in native American cultures, it, they were more welcomed. Like it was, it was a solemn welcome for sure, but it was a recognition of like, you know, this isn't the end of this person, you know, they're, they're, they're joining the spirits. They're going to be with the creator and the creator will, you know, you, depending on your tribe and your spirituality do different things and, and, you know, different things might happen, but it wasn't this huge negative. Like it was definitely sad and you definitely grieved both individually and as a community, but it wasn't the end of that person as it was a lot of the time in these other more European spiritualities. Um, I did a quick look up and the Banshee, uh, so Walter Scott did, um, 
a, a book called Letters on Demonology and Witchcraft in the 1800s. And mm -hmm. he believed that they like specifically visited Highland families. So like mm. the no the nobles or the the higher ups. Yeah. The landowners, the lairds. <laughs> the lairds. Lairds. Oh, lairds. Yep. <laughs> Love lairds. Yeah. Yeah. So like I knew that the, I knew that there was a basis for that. I just couldn't mm -hmm. remember like It's interesting that it came from Sir Walter Scott and also like kind of need that book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. I love that. But yeah, I think, you know, going back to what I was like deal cuz I got I got distracted by gargoyles. Um but like when we when we, you know, I think it's important that we like bring these things into light and that we talk about yeah. these things and that we and that we get to you know kind of play in these worlds and play with these concepts but it's about doing it with respect right so like if you if the only things you know about a native american spirit are the things that you read on wikipedia like maybe don't bro yeah. uh and it's the same thing with like the spiritual practices right like white stage is sacred uh to native tribes like leave it the fuck alone you can use desert sage you can use red sage you can use rosemary you can use lemon you like there's all sorts of other things also <laughs> lavender lavender yes yes and white sage is endangered because like <sighs> yeah I get so I get so like I will do a whole another episode on like witchcraft and spirituality and magic but I get so angry because people talk about oh there's been so much solidarity with like Indo-European pagans and native peoples and I'm like eh like it's it's white new agey witches that are coming around and over harvesting white sage and making it endangered because they're doing what colonizers and white people have always done, which is not practice it properly. They see the thing that they want, they see the aesthetic that they like, and they take it without any knowledge of how to actually implement it. And that's why so many species are endangered. That's why salmon are so fucking small now. That's why white sage is endangered because not only are you over harvesting these things you're also wiping out the ecosystem with 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 don't get me started on how bitter i am about cars uh, like, there's so much about like society that i'm so bitter about because like america had a whole like interconnected rail system that was one of the most sophisticated in the world but henry ford and general motors were allowed to buy it all up and destroy it and then they said here you go you have buses now or you can buy a car which fun fact is why is why america has the term colored people time because black Americans had a really hard time with car ownership and being able to own a car because of racism. And so they had to rely on these shitty ass public, you know, transportation systems. So it was really hard for them to get where they're going, especially when their communities were serviced less by these buses. And they, they had to like relegate themselves to a small area of the bus. So not all of them would fit on the bus that needed to get where they were going. But anyway, that's a separate diatribe and I'm breathing again. Going back to like, we need to 
approach these things with respect. So like, if, if you're not somebody who like has researched the thing or has been invited into the spirituality and like genuinely knows about it, don't write about it. But what you can do is if you think it's important that these stories are told is like, look in these communities. Like if you're a writer, I'm sure you're a member of a bunch of writing groups on Facebook or you have a discord where you do things or you have a nano account where you like challenge each other to like writing sprints and things like that. So like reach out in these communities and say, hey, are there any indigenous authors who are wanting to write about these things and use these stories and are having a hard time? Let me boost you. Let me give you a platform. You know, I think it's super important to, you know, reach out to the, to the communities to whom these stories belong. And, you know, if you can't find anyone and those stories interest you, look into things that are more open because there are things that, you know, they're not going to be the same, but they're like, we've been talking about this whole time. Cultures across the world have similar archetypes and similar stories to be told because spoiler alert, the human experience is not incredibly unique and individualistic. Like, yes, we are all people with our own lenses through things and when we experience like we can experience the same type of trauma but it can do profoundly different things to us but we will have a story that is rooted in the same thing so like look at those things just like burning sage instead of burning white sage burn red sage burn rosemary burn lavender like lantana spreads faster than little nos down that pole honey like you can like you can repopulate that very easily Like, and so like, you want to tell a vampire story? Absolutely. You want to tell a shapeshifter story? Absolutely. Don't touch indigenous stuff. (laughs) It's going to get messy really fast. Um, Mm -hmm. It's It's a good exercise to look into the area that you're from and find Mm -hmm. specific stories that are linked to the area and revitalize that like you don't have to borrow from other people to find something interesting there's probably a variant very close to home that you've just never considered because you don't think that you live in an interesting enough place and you might actually find hey i was looking for vampires but i found these guys they're even better like this is very interesting. Like nobody's touched on these because they're so unique to where I live. Like you won't know that unless you actually go looking for it. Yeah. Yep. Very much that, right? Like there are there are stories from Appalachia that nobody knows because they're so isolated and they just tell these stories within their own community and they're very mistrustful of outsiders because every time outsiders have come to Appalachia promising this, promising development, promising that, all they do is underpay the people that live there, rape the land and leave. Mm. Like so they don't they're very mistrustful of outsiders and like rightfully fucking so just like indigenous communities are very mistrustful of outsiders rightfully so like yeah and so like if you come across myths or stories that you're not quite happy with how the ending turns out or you don't like the personification of something look elsewhere don't try to change what that is oh yeah 
we've already discussed like the plethora of reasons why Europeans don't like cats. Whereas again, over in Japan, Maneki Neko, ah, the waving cat, like cats are seen as lucky. Uh, mm-hmm. In different kinds of cats, uh, personify different kinds of luck. But like everyone knows about Maneki Neko, waving cat, mm-hmm. and like beckoned the, the the traveling monk near him, and so thus he wasn't attacked by bandits. Blah blah blah. But cats are freaking lucky over in Japan, and they have some cute stories about cats over there. And absolutely. And dear listeners, we do have joining us in the eleventh hour, Emily and Nicole, friends of the show, uh, for uh, fellow creators here at Novi. So they're going to join us here in the eleventh hour. <laughs> but yes, back to what you were saying. <laughs> we'll have them in here in a second. Oh no! It was, it, that was it. That you know. It's, okay. Don't try to change one culture's story because it doesn't quite fit mm-hmm. whatever narrative you're constructing. Do more research and look beyond that one lens into another Mm -hmm. place to see a different perspective that might align with what you're wanting more. And even within that same like culture, like move over a little bit and you might find a different telling. So just be specific about who your, who your inspiration was, like where it came from. Because like we've already discussed, there's several different myths of Persephone's descent. There are several different myths of how uh, Patrick and Achilles worked out. And hi, Nicole! <laughs> Hello! Hey, Emily's in the bathroom because we just drove like 45 minutes from the concert we were just at. Oh my God, what concert were you at? Well, I, so I flew, I bought tickets for Emily's birthday to fly her out to New York to see the band that I got her into, Keep Flying. Yes. And she had to fly to see Keep Flying. Yes. (laughs) It looks it looks like I just showered because we got ended up being right in the front of the stage. My knees are like all scuffed up from the stage. Oh my god. We have no voices. We're like and we're doing it all over again tomorrow. Yay. Nice. Incredible. That is a I heard, sign of I a heard good a little ass bit, time. I heard a little bit of the talk. And you know how I feel about mythology and, and all that stuff. Oh, yeah. So Oh, yeah. And like, it's something that's, I mean, it's something that's always going to like, it's part of our DNA. And like, storytelling is so intrinsically human, right? Like, it's something like people, people might say that they don't like mythology or that, eh, like, especially like when you're coming from a Christian lens, because Christianity has a tendency to be super fragile. But like, um, but like, the thing is, is like, you do like mythology. Are you into comics? Do you read X-Men? That's a, that, that is at this point, a mythology. Like yeah. it's not something that's backed by a spirituality, but it is a whole myth- mythos. Like <laughs> I feel like just any, any sort of storytelling that comes from a community of people is just, that can be, you know, and even musicians, like we were just at this concert, like the album that this band put out from start to finish, track one to track six, a complete story. Mm-hmm. And that's, it's like, it becomes just over the course of like word of mouth. And you just keep telling me stories over and over and over again. 
and it becomes this beautiful thing that just keeps getting passed on to generation to generation. It's lovely. Wait, Emily wants to say hi. Do I? <laughs> Come say hi. Hello. Oh, Hello. Hi. Hi. Look at you with hi. your middle part. <laughs> this is very wet hair. This is the most basically like we showered. This is the most Stevie you've looked in a long time. Oh my God, truly. It's full you Stevie. do look like Stevie yeah. right now. <laughs> That's valid. That's but, valid. I'll take but no, it. Yeah. Genuinely, like storytelling is as much a part of the human experience as sickness and marriage and like like we have and, like relationships lullabies you know? and bedtime stories and songs that kids sing when they're in the playground those are all mythology yeah i just mm-hmm. remembered i just remember orations you see you brought up lullabies i just remembered one of the things that is very cajun and that no one else knows and it's the creepiest fucking lullaby and oh, you gotta give it to us. That's the best. That's the best thing to kind of wrap this up. Give us a creepy lullaby. My dear, did you know that a long time ago there were two little children whose names I don't know were stolen away on a bright summer's day and left in the woods. So I've heard people say. And all when it was night, so sad was their plight. They sighed and they sighed, and they bitterly cried. The poor little dears, they laid down and died. And when they were dead, the robin so red brought strawberry leaves and over them spread. And all the day long, he kept singing this song, poor babes in the woods, poor babes in the woods. No, that's crazy. <laughs> why do I have, why do I? the morning here, do you know what's going to happen to me? <laughs> oh my God, yes, do you? It's, it's fine, everyone. The sky is light again. I'm okay. <laughs> <laughs> Right. Oh no! <laughs> now that Aaron has cursed us, yeah, like I no, genuinely. Like- do you know what I feel in my bones? I feel that that is something that the French song about Romani and just got brought over to Canada and then got brought down to Cajun culture. Like I feel that in my bones. Oh. I- I don't yeah, know the origin of it, but that is uh, that is a song that I grew up with and a lullaby that I grew up with. It was actually uh, my youngest sister's favorite song when she was a kid. And when she was like four years old, she'd go, Mom, that, sing the Babe in the Woods song. Mom, sing the Babe in the Woods song. That would be Danny's favorite song. Like, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> that is a wonderful place to wrap it up tonight, dear listeners. Now that I, nightmares. Oh, yeah, you. thanks. I hope you're listening to this as you go to sleep, dear listener. Just be lulled by all the stories of our people. Uh, and I want to remind everyone watching the live stream that you can tip us now and we will match donations to Stop Pipeline 3. If you Stop are listening Pipeline to this. 3. If you are listening to this on YouTube or you are listening to this uh, on the podcast, you can go to Stop Pipeline 
3.org directly and donate. Um, you can sign petitions through there. And what Pipeline 3 is, for those who don't know, um, it is an awful fucking project that violates multiple treaties that is endangering our indigenous women and is endangering our largest fresh water supply here in the United States of America because it is cutting through the Mississippi River through no less than three places, not to mention several other fresh bodies of water. And the thing that makes this so concerning is the fact that they are specifically pumping tar sands, which is the dirtiest form of crude oil that exists. It triples the carbon dioxide output because they have to go through an entire chemical process in order to clean it to even make it viable. And so when this pipeline springs a leak, because it is not a matter of if, it is if, never it's a, a matter when. of if with pipelines, it's already it is a matter of when. Times. And so with tar sands specifically, it is harder to detect and harder to clean because it is not pure oil. It has heavy sediments and heavy chemicals and heavy metals in it that when the pipeline leaks, it will seep to the bottom and mix in with the sediment and be carried through every ecosystem down the Mississippi River, completely devastating biodiversity and ruining our crops and the Gulf of Mexico even further, which just was on fucking fire. So please, Call your representatives, donate if you're able, sign petitions, do the prayers, do the work. If you're able to get out to the to the front lines, please go do your research. There are some camps that you need to be invited to, but they they desperately need support. Our water protectors are being illegally arrested. They are being shot. They are being and the police are being paid to do this by Embridge, the company doing this. And I don't want to hear one goddamn word about jobs or the economy because every, almost every cent from this and Boring. every ounce of this oil is going Canadian. back to France. It's going to yeah. France. It's not even going to Canada. Embridge is a Canadian company, but the oil is going to France. So please... Do the thing that is right and responsible, not only for indigenous lives, but your own life and stop this pipeline. Thank you so much to all of my guests. And I'm going to throw it to Joe first to plug what we want to plug and, and say goodbye to the dear listeners. Uh, so, yeah, thanks for hanging out, everyone. This was fantastic and fun. Um, if you want to find me on social media, uh, you can find me on Instagram. I am little star girl, all one word. Um, and the one thing I would like to plug is that I also, in whatever spare time I have, I work uh, for a nonprofit called Solid Stance. And we bring um, martial arts and that set of, um, oh, it's late. My brain just like dumped. Um, we bring- Don't talk to me about late. Don't talk to me about late. <laughs> It's not late for you, it's early. <laughs> My bad, is that correct? Bring martial and uh, community outreach to uh, disenfranchised children and people across central Arkansas area with a larger mission to go national at some point. And we are an official 501c3 nonprofit with federal status. They came in this week. Oh my God. I learned about that today. Yay! Yay! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> On top of helping out with Stop Pipeline 3, 
go to solidstance.org and check out that cute little mission that is going on as well. Absolutely. Erin, what do you have for the people? Your final remarks? Uh, don't listen to creepy lullabies for sleep. It's not recommended. Uh, follow me. What are you on- talking about? I exclusively listen to, to, uh, folklore and true crime to go to sleep. <laughs> All right. Well, I mean, like if you like true crime, uh, definitely give me a follow at Aaron go play for things that might come later. Um, also just give me a follow at Aaron go play. I stream, uh, specifically story-based gaming on Tuesdays, usually, unless I'm sick. <laughs> um, but follow me at Aaron Go Play for those updates. And that's all I got. Yes. Nicole and Emily, you came in last. So we'll we'll let you plug real quick and we'll save the, the new blood for last. <laughs> um, so you can follow me on Twitter at Nicole the Nerdy. You can find me at Neurotic Good. Um, we belong to... Sorry, there's a dog there's, here. My dog is trying to join in on the conversation. Oh, you can probably. find Dark Revan in some <laughs> Star Wars bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, both of us are on the Legends of Lanamora podcast, which is a part of Novi Studios, as well as What's What with Dilly and Dally, which uh, is the two of us. <laughs> who's, who's Dally? Who's Dilly? We don't even know. <laughs> Everything is meaningless. (laughs) (laughs) Time is a construct that means nothing. And then our very special first time guest and um, super, super excited about the secret special things that are going to be coming from her. Kim, what do you have to leave with the people? Uh, You can find me on Twitter at KGT Rights. So Kilo Golf Tango Rights. I used to work in travel. Can you tell? Uh, I have lots of opinions mostly nonsense um but you can find me you can if you like folklore and you like mythology there's gonna be things coming your way uh i want to start taking trips around scotland where i live to find out more about my heritage and and what was lost and what was browbeaten out of me by the damn english um (laughs) The we fact that they almost, the fact that the, the indigenous language of the Isle of Man and the Isle of Wight and like Welsh, like all almost like, and the Isle of, uh, the Isle of Wight, like that language is functionally extinct. Like it's only mm-hmm. spoken on that island. Yeah. But anyway, sorry. Anyway. <laughs> England, you're fine. It's whatever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. KGT writes. That's me on Twitter. That's me on Instagram. That's me. That's me. Yeah. And as always, dear listener, if you haven't had enough of me here or on my streams on Friday, you can find the podcast, the official podcast Twitter at Lex Stop Talking. Or you can, if you really, really need my attention, you can find me on my personal Twitter at AU Plated Garbage. That is golden plated garbage for all of you uh, physics nerds out there. Uh, And yeah, um, I I'm around. I have my own podcast and there are several things in the works that are coming. So be sure to follow Novi Studios uh, if you want to be in the know. And as always, dear listener, thank you for joining the conversation. And remember that the only thing you owe anyone is the kindness you owe yourself. 